first of all, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We have a very special guest for this time. This, what, let's see, this is our fifth recap episode of the year. Um, I thought it would be kind of fun to start doing these every couple of months just to go back and discuss some of the last few episodes. This week we have Sonny Hollywood Pooney from the Grown Up Rock podcast. Hello, Sonny. Uh, hello there. And uh, I was thinking you can ask me all the indelicate questions you want. <laughs> As I'll you know, answer all of them. I don't care. Okay. As you know, that's kind of my uh, my thing a little bit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and Yan, say hello to everybody. Yan's here. I, I am. I'm here. And uh, so hello to everybody. And I'll, I'll give you an update later. Okay, good. I want to hear the update. So yeah. uh, we're really glad to have Sonny here. Sonny's a very uh, passionate music lover and a very proactive and... Um, passionate, I guess, podcaster too. Sonny, tell us a little bit about Grown Up Rock. I listen now, let me let me preface this by saying I like hard rock and heavy metal, but I don't love it to the extent that you guys do. And so I don't listen to every single hard rock and heavy metal podcast out there. But I do love good interviews. And so I listen to the Grown Up Rock episodes that are with people that I'm especially interested in from an interview perspective. But tell us how you got to know Stephen Michael, your partner. Tell us how you started. Tell us your experience podcasting. Give us the lowdown. Yeah, the podcasting thing uh, was all a timing and a bunch of choices that probably wouldn't have got made randomly put together. Mm -hmm. So I used to listen. I I travel a lot for work. And uh, part of that traveling is a lot of driving at times. So, you know, I used to listen to music and serious radio, then it graduated to audiobooks. And then the problem with something like an audiobooks for uh, an audiobook for somebody like me is my attention span's not that great. So, you know, although I was listening to Paul Stanley's audiobook essay and really enjoyed it, it's hard to listen to that solely for 6 hours or whatever. So, mm-hmm. somebody suggested podcasts, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, so I'll try that." Well, The first podcast I tried was probably early 2017. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was just searching for rock podcasts, came across Decibel Geek. And Mm -hmm. um, luckily, Decibel Geek knows a lot of other podcasts. So they're always talking about other podcasts. So they kind of, without even knowing them personally, gave me all the ideas of all the podcasts I might like. In the middle of all that, if you remember, we did that first uh, rock uh, Rock and Pod Expo. I do. Decibel Geek was looking for donations. And they would allow somebody to come on. So I've always been a music fan. Um, I'm a busy guy, but it's like, you know, I've always been in, wanted to be in radio. Maybe this is something I can do when I retire. So let me give me, let me give it a shot. I'll donate and see what happens. So I donate, I do the uh, podcast. I was extremely nervous on the Decibel Geek and I signed up for like four or five other ones too. So I did like four or five in a span of like probably two weeks, three weeks. Awesome. Uh, just to kind of get it out of my blood. Some time goes by and Stephen Michael calls. He did one with Decibel Geek also. I've I never heard of him. I didn't okay. know who he was. He messages me one day and says, hey, can we talk for a few minutes? And uh, that talk led to, hey, I'm thinking about doing this podcast. Got this idea. Would love to have a partner. Uh, or at least try it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one rule, and I don't know how you and Yan uh, work these rules, but my one rule was I can't do any work. So <laughs> no editing. I already got a full-time job. Mm. Can't do any editing, right? Uh, so Because uh-huh. I knew if I was getting in that that is a full-time job. Yeah. So he said, yeah, no problem. We did a couple of test runs, and you blink, and we're like 100 episodes in. And we've crazy? only really met three or four times. 
That is crazy. So do you now you say you don't want it to feel like a job. Does does Steven do all the editing and the post production and all that kind of stuff? He does it all. Yeah, that's where that's yeah. how Yan and I's relationship works too. Um, Yan's more the IT. I'm terrible at all that stuff. And uh, so he does all the production work and all the technical stuff. And then I do the interviews. That's really fascinating. Now, what made you, I, I assume you guys settled on hard rock and heavy metal because that's your thing. And you just thought this would be the funnest. Now, I know not every one of your episodes covers that ground, but a lot of them do. Is that where you guys decided, like, let's cover something we like? Why that? That decision was actually already made. So Stephen oh. had, he had, here's what I want to name my podcast. Here's what I want my podcast to be about. Here's the kind of things I want to do. He shared a Google Doc of all the ideas he had. And it's like, hey, you win. Yeah. And I'm, I'm one of those guys, I'll try anything. I don't care. Uh-huh. Right? So I was like, okay, it sounds good. Yeah. Right. And I'm into the same music. So he'd already done all the thinking, everything to the name, everything. Wow. So I was like, okay, well, I'll join in. No problem. You know, talk about indelicate questions. Where did, what's your role in this? I mean, I know you guys are partners and he does the production, but most of the interviews I've heard have been done by him. So what's, uh, what's your part in this whole thing? Yeah. So most of the interviews are usually done by him because He's got more available time. He's a busy guy too, but he's mm-hmm. got more available time than I do because I have kind of a a nine to five Monday or eight to five Monday through Friday job plus kind of on call and a lot of travel. Mm. So you know when you talk to a I don't know a Paul Dean, Paul yeah. Dean doesn't want to talk at six o'clock at night because right. he's getting ready for a gig. So he wants to talk at noon. Yeah, well, I can't do it at noon. Right. Right. So. Normally what happens in those situations is we have something scheduled with Paul Dean, let's say. Um, we'll get a Google Doc going. He'll say, hey, what do you know about Loverboy? What questions would you want to ask? Mm. We'll formulate the questions together, and then he'll do the interview. And then we will get on and maybe talk a little bit about Loverboy and then cut the interview mm-hmm. in kind of thing. Got so um, uh, he does his own research. I'm more of the research guy. And then um, he's not as good with social media. I'm better with social mm, media, although mm-hmm. I'm new at it. Right. So I do a lot of that too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, wow, that's fascinating. So just, just curious, Sonny, what what do you do that has you travel travel so much? Yeah. So I work in retail. I'm a supply chain. I'm in supply chain. So I've worked in retail for over 30 years. Wow. And uh, I've always had like a multi-unit type job. So it requires me to go to so-and-so's vendor's warehouse or, Mm. hey, we need help in X city because somebody's got a question. Can you go? And then on top of that, I live in Wisconsin. My wife and kids live in California. So Mm. that travels on top of all the other travel I do. Wow. Right. So some of it's self-inflicted. Some of it's a job. Yeah. That can't be easy. Living in Wisconsin while your family's in California. Yeah, you know, when uh, when I was a kid, we moved a lot. So uh-huh. I went to several different schools, and my wife and I had something worked out. We had like this seven- to eight-year plan that once our oldest started high school, we would not move from that place until the youngest graduated from the same high school. Mm. So we're about halfway through that plan. Mm. And it's more important, you know, and we've all been kids, right? When yeah. you grow up and you're 35, 40 years old, it's more important – that you went to the same high school, had high school friends, you have all these memories about whatever it was, all the growing up you did, all the senior balls, the junior proms, blah, blah. You don't remember what your parents were telling you to do yeah. in the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. They were more of a hindrance than anything yeah. else. Yeah. 
So huh. trying to be sensitive to that. Okay. And how often do you make it a point to see your family? How often are you yeah. out there? Yeah, I go home an average of every other week. Okay. And then uh, we spend all our vacations together. They come sure. out here when they're on summer vacation. We spend all the key holidays together. Uh, my wife is a organized uh uh, organized person. So on my calendar is here is the date you absolutely must be home kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've always worked that way. So it works out. And work is okay with you being flexible on where you're working from. And maybe it doesn't even matter in this day and age where you are. Yeah, it matters. Otherwise I wouldn't be in Wisconsin. That's why we're our corporate offices here. Okay. And my job was, uh, you know, 75% corporate office. So Mm -hmm. it was imperative that I was here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. These work challenges, I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit as it relates to me. Well, that's a, that's a big sacrifice, but it sounds like you guys are making it work. Um, have you enjoyed the podcast game, the podcast scene? Uh, I would say 99% of it. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed 99%. You know, you always get the, either a negative comment here or there that you don't Uh know how to take or you get a pot, you know, a fellow podcaster does something stupid because they took something the wrong way. Yeah. Um, But I would say most everybody I've met has been great. And what I've been telling people, John, is I'm making new friends at 48, 49 years old. And I will tell you that uh, my personality is not easily taken by new people. Like, really? I, you know, you're yeah, the most gregarious yeah. guy I can think of. That's because of the job. Uh, Normally I'm kind of like a sarcastic ass to be <laughs> honest. So, um, and I try to be funny, but sometimes it comes out as sarcasm. So, yeah. but you know, you get to your forties and you're not looking to make new friends. Like you've got enough friends, you yeah, know, and yeah. to make friends that have the same interests that I have is unbelievable. The yeah. friendships that I've made, you would think, We've known these people for 30, 40 years. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I noticed that too. And um, I thought that was especially, I felt, I felt that very profoundly at this last expo because, you know, the previous year, and I've talked about this a lot on here, but um, I had a really good time at the first expo from two years ago, whenever it was, but I felt very much like the low guy in the totem pole. I don't think anyone really knew who I was aside from a couple of people. And so... You know, I was debating whether I really wanted to be there and, but it felt, it was such a loving kind of communal environment. You know, you can't, Ken Mills is the sweetest man in the world. And if he takes you under his arm, which he does pretty much everybody, then you feel like you're with friends. And so the first year went great. And the second year was even better. Just, um, you know, I did, I barely saw you cause you guys were on the other side of the room from where I was kind of stationed. I managed to walk over there once just because I wanted to see everybody and I figured I'd make it back again later in the day and I never did. But just being a part of this community, it's very satisfying. I wish you could come out here, Yen, one at least one time, sometime, to uh, sort of feel it. Did you enjoy this last expo? I think you were only there for a few hours. Right there, When I say there, I mean Nashville. You only flew in and flew out, right? Yeah, I took the red eye to come in and then flew out the next day. And I was there for most of it, but it, it went fast. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think we got to spend just a couple of minutes together and that was it. But there were some people I didn't get to talk to at all because yeah. there was so much going on. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. I heard um, Courtney Cronin Dold on Rock Salad this week. She mentioned that she felt like it was a class reunion for people who actually didn't go to school together. And that's a really <laughs> yeah. good description. I thought, you know, it felt like you're seeing all these people that you interact with so much on Facebook and everything else. And here they are, and they are, they care about you, and you care about them, and we're all on this in this together. And it's uh, it was a very 
And I thought I just had a really amazing time on this last expo. Yeah, it's tough because uh, the good part about social media and being doing something like this, just like Yan, you you meet people and you know people that are not in the states. Yeah. The bad part about something like this, though, is all those people that you know in the Australia and the Spains and the you know the UKs of the world can't make it to the Rock and Pot Expo because yeah. for them, that's an unbelievable amount of expense. Yeah, big time, big time. You don't get to meet everybody. Yeah. Actually, you'd be surprised. Be surprised at what? The, it, it's cheaper to to fly. So, like, flights here are so much cheaper than internal stuff in the U.S. Is it really? Oh, oh I didn't know that. So, my sister lives in Switzerland. And that's probably uh, two and a half hour flight from, from here. Mm-hmm. I was looking at, at flight prices to go with my son for for the week of Christmas because I have to be off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to get there, I don't know how many the flights for coming back but to get there it'd be like 30 bucks for me and 12 bucks for his cost wow to get to, to get switzerland there. oh my gosh from that's Ed- so cheap from edinburgh to switzerland oh yeah. my gosh wow, wow. man i wow. would be gone every weekend yeah i'll tell you san francisco to vegas direct which is an hour 10 flight some days is 70 bucks each way some days it's 170 bucks oh, each wow. way it depends wow yeah Wow, man, that's uh, that's well. Hopefully, one of these days, yeah, and you can make it over here um, to one of these. I, I one thing I wanted to say that I when you and I yeah, did our sort of retro on the expo, something that was I didn't get into as deeply as I wanted to. That was really special for me. This is kind of me making up some things here. Um, I had I stayed in an Airbnb with Greg Renoff, the guy that wrote the Van Halen Rising book, and B.J. Cramp of the Rock and Roll podcast. And then Eric Miller of Pods and Sods. And we shared this house. It was a weird little, the house was almost empty. It reminded me, if anyone remembers the house that the kid is running around in, in the It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine by R.E.M. video. That's, oh, kind yeah. of, that's kind of what this house felt like. It was very strange. There was almost no furniture in it except for beds in random places. But um, having these deep conversations with people that you feel like you know intimately, but you don't see very often. Eric and I discussing, you know, spirituality and religion and God very deeply. And Greg and I discussing families and messy families and tragedy and watching Eric and Greg discuss tragedy. And BJ and I going deep on like podcasting and how to get guests and numbers and how to promote and all this kind of stuff. It was, uh, that was, I don't, you talk about Sonny about not making friends at this age. I don't have those kinds of deep conversations very often. And uh, it was really magical to me to spend time with these people that I admire, you know, get to talk about just the deepest stuff that goes on in all of our lives. It was a really special experience, I thought. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost therapeutic, right? Because your closest friends, although you wish you could tell them everything that you want, you probably have known them for 20, 30 years. And what what 20, 30 years have shown you is certain conversations make them very uncomfortable. So you stay away from that stuff. Yeah. Yes. Right. And you don't know that about these people. So yeah. you'll talk about whatever. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Very true. Uh, well, good. Now, after the expo, you were kind enough to send me a little care package. And uh, I want to thank you so much for this because I've enjoyed it. I started reading the Prince book you sent this week. I'm only, I don't know, 30 or 40 pages into it. But so far, I like it because it feels like it's going to be 
uh, critical, not critical and, you know, not overly negative the whole way, but just to be balanced. And that, you know, the good and the bad, which Prince, like it or not, had a lot of good and bad sides to him. So I'm really excited to finish this book. And then you sent me some CDs that I wanted to give you some feedback on. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yes. Okay. So first of all, was it, you're going to have to help me with the guy's last name. Terry Ilou? Uh, some call it Ilou. Some call it Luce. He's, uh, he's French. Oh, okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, some call it Ilou. Some call it Luce. It's Terry. What are you okay. going to do? Terry, yeah. <laughs> so this guy, I, don't, I didn't know anything about him. I'd never heard of him before. The, the CD is called Gypsy Dreams. And he's a like flamenco guitarist, and he does covers. I'm going to send this to you, Yan, because I think you especially are going to love this. He does covers of my favorite one on there was probably "In Your Eyes" by Peter Gabriel, but there's also "Heaven and Hell," there's "Wicked Game," there's "Boys of Summer," "Love Bites." Covers a lot of ground, and it's beautiful. I loved it. How did you find this guy? So he was originally the singer for um, a hard rock band called XYZ in the late 80s. And then the last eight years until about four months ago when he got fired, he was the lead singer for Great White. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so he's he's a lead singer by trade. All the flamenco that you see or or hear is uh, all friends of his. They're called Vagabonds. Um, They're all professional players, Grammy winners. Uh, he's putting XYZ back together now, and then he does this Terry uh, Lou and the Vagabonds on the side. Cool. I loved it. That was my favorite one. So he, when you say Great White, obviously there's the Jack Russell version. He's not that, but he's fronting or was fronting the other version of Great White that's out there, right? Right. And now it's fronted by Mitch Malloy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was, I think that one was probably my favorite. I love that one. Uh, you also sent me a couple of CDs by Richie Kotzen. Now, Richie, I'm familiar with his story, but I've never dug into his solo work before. And uh, there were two. One was called Salting Earth and one was called Break It All Down. Correct? Correct. Okay. I really liked both of those a lot, too. The Break It All Down kind of shocked me because, like, half of it, he sounds... First of all, his voice sounds a little bit like a cross between Chris Cornell and Prince. And he... There was so there was a lot of funky R&B on that Break It All Down CD that I was not mentally prepared for. I did not have any idea that he was as good at doing that type of music as he is. So I think you sent. I think you even included a letter that was like, "You're gonna love a lot of songs on the CD," and I did. I, I, when he gets into that funky R&B stuff, I thought it was really amazing. Yeah, he's uh, from Philly, so it's the Philly soul thing. Got Prince it. is one of his favorites. Uh, the Cornell thing, everybody says that. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, he's got that kind of Philly soul R&B side that I love too. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was great. And Salting Earth as an album, I think I even liked more, uh, complete, like start to finish. Um, but both of those were really, really incredible. Um, I'll send you those too, yeah. We transfer them to you or whatever. But yeah, they were. Uh, those were both really solid. Very nice finds. The last one, Restrained. Uh, I'll be honest. That's at the. That's like at the at the limit of my uh, attraction to hard rock and heavy metal. Was, uh, I don't. I don't dislike it, but it's not the kind of thing I put on very often. Um, so I'm not saying. And I've learned since starting this podcast too. I. It feels weird to criticize people's music now that I feel like I know some people a little bit. You know. Right. And. Um, and so I'm more content just to say that it's not necessarily for me versus that I hate it or it's bad or it's got no value because I would never say that. So Restrained is 
not really my thing. I liked it, but I don't know how often I would put it on. It's probably one step beyond what I'm comfortable with in terms of like heavy metal kind of thrasher rock. Yeah, and it's a it's a local band from Sacramento. Mm. Uh, they've got two CDs out for friends of mine. Yeah, it's kind of a mix. Uh, Yan, if you take a listen to it, it's a mix between Judas Priest, Black Label Society, a little bit of Kiss, a little bit of Ozzy, kind of all in a blender. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But here's one for you then. If you if you if you like that kind of stuff, the the heavy metal, uh, go have a listen to the Raven Age. Raven Age. I don't know them. They're good. I saw them last year as the opener for Anthrax. Oh, that's right. Now, are they a Scottish band, or were they from somewhere else on a tour with Anthrax? They're from down south, somewhere London, I think. Okay. And they they were opening for Anthrax on the tour. Okay. I'll check that out. Raven Age. Um... Yeah, I thought restrained. I I liked restrained um, when it's more melodic, you know, and less yeah. kind of shouty. But yeah. um, I, I it's it was good stuff. It's just um, that would have been the that'll be the one that I would pull out the least often of the four that you sent. Anyway, thank you for doing that because I loved all of those and they were a really fun discovery. Oh yeah, no problem. Thanks for giving it a shot. Of course. Yeah, um, let's talk for a minute about your love life because. <laughs> The last time we did one of these, we talked a little. We talked a little bit about a uh, sort of an online romance you have going on, uh-huh. and um, I got a lot of comments who were like, "What's what's going on with Yan? Who's this girl? What's happening? Where is she? Who is she? Can you uh, can you give us a little something? Has there been any progress? Not a whole lot of progress. I've just been lately. Things have gotten so busy. I only get to talk to her about once a week, mm-hmm. which is. Not great, but yeah. it is what it is. And, and are you going to tell us where she lives? Sure. Moscow. Moscow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And do we know the, that no, she's real? Yeah, yes. Okay. <laughs> 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 That's the question here. Is Yan getting catfished? Um, so no. far, it doesn't look that way, right? No, I've been really particular about... So, like, I'll, I'll say... Oh, show me something, and she'll wave her hand about, and the and the chat stops. Okay. You know, We're not talking about anything like... pornographic here, yet, are we? No. You're not sexting no. one another. Okay. No. Okay. No. Just making sure. So, so like, if she's had nails put redone. I'll say, show me the nails, okay. and I'll watch okay. to make sure the the typing stops. Okay, I uh, I'm still I'm still a little skeptical at all this. Not that she's a, not a, a real person, but like how real is this thing? But um, yeah. I think it's exciting for you. She's I've seen you've sent me pictures, and no offense, she's way out of your league. She's way out of most people's league. So we'll see how yep. this goes, right? Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Nice. Now, are there any plans to arrange to meet each other? Yes. When and where uh, and how? Jan, uh, so January. Okay. I have to be off work, so since I'm self-employed, when I'm off, yeah, I'm really not doing much at all. So okay, the plan the plan is we'll meet up then. Okay. We'll want a full report of how this goes. Um, uh-huh. I want to see this. I want you to see this girl in the flesh. 
Um, so does, did they, I, I'd be interested to know if anybody picked up on what her name is. Oh, yeah, you were kind of dropping hints. Um, yeah, the opener was a big, huge hint. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Okay, someone will have to go back and listen to the last recap episode to find out what that was. Um, it's okay. A, it's a Deborah Harry song. Yes, yes. I caught on, I caught on to that. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let me... Um, I'm going to get, I need to kind of give some people a little bit of updates on the state of the podcast. A couple of things. Number one, the last few months have been kind of quiet. And this is something I was curious to talk about with you, Sonny. Um, It felt like, so five of our last 19 guests have not shared their episode with their fans that I'm aware of anyway. Uh, One or two people did retweet it. They, uh, I don't, I'm not on Twitter that much, so I don't really know what I'm doing it to me, I guess maybe because I'm not looking at it all the time feels like a much less, um, form of like promotion, you know, um, maybe that's because I'm not on there very much. So I, we don't have a ton of followers and I'm not following a ton of people and all that kind of stuff. So a retweet is nice, but if you just do that without any kind of commentary, it feels like it just sort of goes out in the wind. There's no like investment in it. So it has been a really quiet time because I feel like the last few months that we've had some really strong guests, but we're kind of sunk if people, if their fans don't know that our episodes are out there, you know, and you hope that a small percentage of the people who come for that episode will stick around and go into the archives and find the others. Do you, do you experience this too, Sonny, where it gets kind of quiet sometimes and, and you can't, the fans aren't aware that your podcast is out there? Yeah, you know, your core fans will know because they're subscribing. Sure. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so for like, let's say a Robbie Dupree, for instance, some of these guys don't realize that if they don't help share, mm-hmm. that it's not going to go anywhere. And yeah. I think they're almost they're almost counting on that somebody's going to go to Facebook and search Robbie Dupree and see what comes up. Like, they, it's not how it was in the 80s. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. we... we uh, uh, experienced that quite a bit too, but like we just uh, interviewed Steve Whiteman from Kicks. Hmm. He didn't share it, but then hmm. we were talking about Lizzie Hale on the episode, and Lizzie Hale shared it. Oh, nice! Right, okay. so I was like, Good. okay, well, that that's kind of cool, you know. So yeah, there's days where uh, it seems like everything's going okay, and then there's days where it's like, okay, is anybody listening? Yeah. But we kind of talk each other off a ledge, going, okay, we did it as a hobby, remember? So <laughs> it can't true. be like work. That's right, true. so we just kind of talk ourselves off the ledge. Yeah, uh, as Yan can attest, I I need to be talked off the ledge pretty periodically, pretty regularly, actually. I just um, well, how about this for that then? Because I'm looking at the dashboard right now, and in the last thirty days, we've done twelve thousand downloads. Yeah, but the prior thirty to sixty days, we were two or three times that much. So it it, it just. It feel and if you and I only really I'm not even sure how much the numbers how real the numbers are sometimes I'm not sure if they're accurate or whatever so I my I tend to go on and maybe you can relate to this too Sonny the the interaction with listeners you know if you've got even two or three people kind of messaging you every week or so saying hey great job or I like this one or have you tried this or I'm a new listener or whatever it makes you it adds some fuel to your tank and when those don't happen. It does. It feels like you've put your heart and soul, much like our guests, by the way, I'm aware of this, 
<laughs> much like our guests who, you know, put out a brand new album, like Walter Egan put out a new album last year. He put his heart and soul into this and it goes out in the world and who knows who's connecting with it and whether it's making a difference. And yet it, they care, you know, we care about these things. Yeah, I've been, uh, you know, we have a marketing department, obviously, where I work, and I've been listening also to this new podcast called The Climb, C-L-I-M-B. Okay. Um, it's a marketing uh, kind of par- a podcast, or podcast, yeah. And what they were saying, and our marketing um, department agrees, that if 3% of your core fan base interact with you, you're actually doing pretty good. So oh. if you've got 1,000 followers, okay. you know, they're only counting on maybe 30 doing something. So Okay. I, I and I get what you're saying because I'll send a poll out on Twitter about hey I got a question about X Y Z or what do you think about this and there'll be a hundred or so people vote I go okay mm. well there is people out there yeah. paying attention it's just that not everybody will react yeah um, yeah but I, I don't I don't even ask Stephen the numbers and I'm also on Podcast Rock City I don't ask Joe mm. about the numbers I just do it for fun yeah and it is what it is. Yeah, I um, I try to tell myself that. And um, so this comes to the second part of this. So we're recording this on Sunday. Um, chances are very good that tomorrow I'm going to be laid off from my job. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've had this job for about five years. I've really enjoyed it. Um, we were acquired recently, and the company that acquired us is laying off thousands of people one of which is probably going to be me. And um, I'm less concerned with finding a new job than I am, honestly, finding a job that allows me to continue to do the podcast to the degree that I do it, you know? Because it takes, it takes, as you know, a lot of interaction. You know, it's I try to be responsive to people's messages. I try to be, um, I do a lot of research uh, while I'm at work. Um, I, I get my work done too, but it, you know, I'll shoot an email off to somebody to see if they'll want to come on the show. I'm reading their Wikipedia. I'm listening to old interviews. I'm um, listening to all their albums and so on and so on. And as you know, anyone knows, when they start a new job, you have to be all in for longer hours. And you don't want someone coming over to your cube and seeing that you're you know, on Facebook arguing about Robbie Dupree with some guy or, you know, or politics or whatever, you know, you got to keep it very tight. And, uh, so I am, I am concerned about my ability to continue to do the podcast at the level that I've been doing it and it being without, it feeds into that insecurity that I just talked about a minute ago too. Then it's like, well, if no one's listening, will anyone even care? And I wonder that sometimes, not that no one's listening. I sound like a martyr. I don't mean to do that, but it, it feels sometimes like, you know, is what we're doing, does it matter? Does it, is it making a difference? I set out to do this because I want to make a difference. I want to make these people feel good about themselves. And I was hoping to inform listeners and give them something to chew on along the way. And anyway, I'm just having this kind of battle with doubt and uh, concern over the future of you know, where I'm going to be in my life. I do have kind of, I, I shouldn't, I, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I think my next, I think I know what my next job's going to be. It's looking pretty good. I've known this was going to happen for a while, but like I said, you start a new job, you, you, uh, you got to be all in. And, um, so hopefully I will be able to continue to do interviews. You talk about Paul Dean wanting to talk in the middle of the day. Um, my job the last few years, which is the only job I've had while doing the podcast has allowed me to do that if necessary. You know, 
I wasn't doing it all the time, but if I needed to do one on a lunch hour or something like that, it wasn't a problem. But I don't know what's in store now. So I'm trying to do as many interviews as I can right now to kind of stockpile like three or four months worth so that we have a pipeline to keep working off of. But um, anyway, it may impact the show. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, I'm sure everything will work out. I think, you know, what to keep in mind there is do things in the short term that are going to get your life stable. The podcast will always be there when you want to go back. Yeah. So. Yeah, I um, I have aspired all this time to be somebody like a WTF or a Rock Solid or any other podcast that puts out something regularly every week at a certain time, you know, and it's a certain quality. I, that's what I aspired to do. But at the end of the day, I'm just a regular guy and I've got bills to pay and a job and podcasting is a hobby and I may have to slow down or take breaks or break it into series or I don't know. I don't know what is going to happen. I'm really kind of nervous about it. So anyway, that's a state of the podcast for everybody. So let's, uh, let's recap the last few episodes. Um, I'm curious, Sonny, I just, I don't normally make this about us, but how did you find us? Was it at the first rock and pod expo? Uh, I started listening before the rock and pod expo. So there, because every once in a while, what'll happen is I'll, search on podcasts a name, hmm. right? Because I'm interested in so-and-so and what they're doing out there, if there's any interviews out there. Mm-hmm. And my guess is that's probably how I came across it, is mm-hmm. you interviewed somebody that I wanted to learn more about, and then it kind of went from there. Because I will tell you, for you know, for the people that are listening, they already know, once you listen to you guys one time, that's all it takes. <laughs> then you're like, okay, this is, these are the guys that uh, I want to listen to. Now, not all of the guests you always have I'm interested in, right. but there's many that I am. And then there's this music business class that you get along with the podcast yeah. that really interests me. Good. That is my hope. I, um, I completely understand if people don't listen to every single episode, if it's just not their thing. I purposely try, as I've said many times, to kind of go in all different genres and all different decades just because I, that's, those are my listening habits you know i like a little bit of everything and i like it from all over the place and i just reach out to people i perceive might have an interesting story you know you never know where you're going to find an interesting story and if i can create an angle if i go into somebody and i think ooh, they were really big and then it all dropped off or they weren't big for a long time and then suddenly had a it spiked really quickly or you your lead singer left right at the worst time or whatever that is. If I can find an angle that I can kind of pursue and, and squeeze a big, a good story out of, then that's what gets me excited. So I appreciate you saying all of that. Sometimes I think I should probably just, in fact, it's been recommended to me sometimes that our name, we should change our name because it doesn't say what the podcast is about. Um, so if we were, we should change it so that it's easy, easier to Google like, Oh, stories from rock stars. You haven't heard from it for a while. That should be the name of our podcast. But wow. Yeah. That is a long name. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I like our name, you know? I think it's okay. Um, and then, I, you know, I've been told you should stick with the 80s or you should stick with New Wave or you should stick with whatever. And I think, I don't, I like spreading it around. But anyway, I don't know. Um, well, I think there's, I think there's good stories to be had from multiple genres. And there's a lot of people out there that stick to one to one thing and I think that makes us different I do too 
Yeah, I do too. And I, so I appreciate your support over the years, Sonny. It, um, it means a lot. I, like we've just said, we never know who's listening and who cares and what's happening in their lives, but I really, really appreciate your support of us. Thank you for doing uh, that. Yeah. And that's no problem. And I would tell you, I, I like it that you bounce from, um, era to era because as people grow up here and the new generations kind of getting older, mm-hmm. right? These, uh, just like me, I grew up mm-hmm. in the late 70s, early 80s. There was so much different type of music on the charts mm-hmm. that we are into a lot of different type of music. Totally. So I like Debbie Gibson. I like Slayer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and it's okay. <laughs> I love that. After my own heart. I totally agree. <laughs> good. Okay. Well, good. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about the last couple months. Um, the first, let's see, we're going to go from Robbie Dupree until the most recent Chris Barron. Um, Robbie Dupree was the first one of the last couple of months that we haven't touched on before. I thought that one was really nice. Again, he didn't share it, but this is the other thing too, of the 19 people of the last 19 guests where five, only five said they would share all 19 said they would share and then ended up not doing it. I don't know. I wonder sometimes too, if you know, for instance, like Bob Rock. I mean, Bob Rock does a bunch of interviews, and he doesn't—he's not—he doesn't care like if it's out there or getting heard, or he's not promoting anything, you know. Um, so he's not on top of it. Like, ooh, that was really good. I want to make sure all my fans hear that. They don't think like that, and maybe yeah. um, you know, Robbie Dupree was kind of one of them. Although he was great, and uh, I feel really bad. He recommend he put me on the guest list for a Yacht Rock review concert here in Denver recently. It was so much fun. And I interviewed the lead singer of Yacht Rock Review and it the file got messed up. The sound is wrong. And so I uh, need to contact him and do it again. And I hate when that happens. Maybe that's happened to you, Sonny. It's the worst feeling in the world when you have to recreate this spontaneous, wonderful conversation you had with somebody so you can get it out on a podcast. It has not happened to me yet, and I am so scared of it because I, I just don't want to waste the person's time, right? Yeah. That's what I'm so worried about. Um, it's a stupid thing to probably to be worried about, but it, yeah, it hasn't happened to me, thank God. Good. It's only happened to me, um, I can think of three times, three out of 220 or whatever it is. So not too bad, but this is this was one of them. And one of them was the Trash Can Sinatras, which we tried to fix, and that went okay. Another one was Tarquin Gotch, the guy who does the music supervisor for John Hughes. We just ended up redoing it, and it was just as good, if not better, the second time. And then Hilly Michaels and I did three different interviews, and the first one was perfect, and he didn't, uh, it didn't record. The second one was pretty good, and he didn't like it, so we did a third one, and that one was even worse than the second one, and so we ended up running the second one. So anyway... I got to figure this out. I feel terrible. I hate it. But um, anyway, are you a Robbie Dupree fan or have you paid any attention to him over the years, Sonny? Uh, yeah, I had. Um, I didn't know a ton about him. I thought it was very interesting that the comment about the 15 years of heartache and then somebody plays a demo in somebody's car and you get signed. <laughs> like you can't take any relationship for granted. That's oh, for sure. so true. Especially in this business, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that too. And... I wondered if anyone noticed that he sort of famous, he didn't do it directly, but he also sort of dissed Bertie Higgins a little bit. And I mentioned that because famously, as most people know, we had Stephen Bishop on here and Stephen Bishop got really mad when 
Um, I It sounded to him like I was comparing his career to Bertie Higgins, which I wasn't doing. And um, that's become sort of a punchline. And when I mentioned Bertie Higgins to Robbie Dupree, he's like, well, you know, some of us, I think, maybe have like one hit that we're working on. And some of us have, you know, built a career. And it was just, it felt like a little bit. So anyway, maybe I like Bertie Higgins a lot. Maybe Bertie's not viewed super favorably in that world. I don't know. Curious if anyone else heard that. Um, do you have any thoughts or anything on Robbie Dupree, Yan? Uh, I actually really enjoyed him. <laughs> he was he was quite interesting. Yeah, he was but, a really nice you know, guy. But then my, my angle on listening to this thing is is maybe a little bit different than everybody else's. It's probably true. I'm, I'm going over something and then I'm listening. Oh, uh-huh. oh I need to take that out. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Very true. Um, yeah, okay. when he talked about the 36 hours from handing in the album yes. and then somebody says, I don't hear a single dude, I would have lost it. No he, kidding. He handled oh, yeah. it very calmly. I would have been, every one of you are fired. <laughs> Why the hell did you wait a day and a half before we got to hand the album? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. it's And then he goes in and he does it. Isn't that when he recorded Hot Rod Hearts and that becomes like yeah. his second biggest hit or something like that? Crazy. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great story. And I couldn't believe he used to work with Nile Rodgers. I can't think of two people see- seemingly less suited for what, not suited, but on opposite ends of a spectrum than those two. And yet they, uh, you know, were in a band together back in the day. It's crazy. Wow. Uh, Elliot Lurie, I don't have a lot to say about Elliot. He was nice too, Looking Glass. Um, except interestingly, I think I mentioned they were one of the first requests I ever got for this podcast. It was from a listener named Andy Carlson. And um, I reached out to Looking Glass on Facebook and I got a response, but it was from somebody who uh, is like, is their bass player when nowadays, you know, he wasn't like an original member or something. So I guess he plays with Elliot sometimes on shows. And he was like, well, Elliot doesn't do this kind of stuff, but I'll do it. And I, no offense guy, but I'd rather talk to one of the original members, you know, and but, you know, maybe we can figure something out sometime. And the poor guy, I don't even remember his name. Jeff, I think. I'm not sure. Anyway, he was super nice but and was eager to do it. But I that just didn't carry the same weight as talking to the guy that wrote Brandy and put recorded the song and sang it. So I waited like three years and finally got a hold of Elliot and made it work. And I do think it's interesting that he makes a living primarily just off that one song. That's crazy. Wouldn't you love to be that guy? that wrote the one song and you just collect mailbox money for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. And I've done that one song karaoke a couple of times. Um, <laughs> he's also this whole music supervisor thing. Yes. Like I didn't know that was a job. How do I get one of those jobs? No kidding. That is my dream job. I mean, if I could be the guy who picks songs for movies, I think, um, I think that would be the best. Now he kind of, di- he sort of cut into some of the romanticism of it or the, um, you know, it's just a job and it's a lot of negotiating and it's, you know, it's busy work. It's not this sexy golden thing that we all think it is. But I would rather deal with the muck of that job than the muck of a normal person's job. You know what I mean? I yeah, would I would that. say that's fair. And yeah. th- there was one thing that I heard and I'm glad it didn't get edited out during the edit uh, because it kind of struck me. He said that the the money from uh, Brandy made hard times easier and good times better Yeah, because the hit paid. I had not heard any of these interviews say it that way. I thought that was a pretty cool way. I did too. I thought that was really interesting. And am I crazy? I mean, you're a couple years older than I am, Sonny. I 
feel like Brandy has had a resurgence just in the last three or four years. Like it didn't seem to me like one of those evergreen songs that you heard consistently all the time. But I'm trying to figure out if it's one of those things where like, like I've said, when you buy a new car and then suddenly you see that car everywhere, whatever the name for that is. Is it one of these things where because Andy Carlson recommended I talk to the guy that sings Brandy, now I'm hyper aware of hearing it all the time? Do you do you feel like it's having a resurgence too? I haven't felt that lately. I mm. thought I had a resurgence in the 90s when karaoke was huge because uh, no matter where I went, somebody was doing it. Really? Yeah. Okay. yeah. But uh, I haven't heard it lately, but I don't listen to radio anymore. Yeah, so maybe it is out there and I just don't know it. Yeah. That's true. That's a good point. I don't listen to radio either. Um, okay, Pat Vegas. Uh, I thought that would be another interesting one. Um, I don't know these uh, I, these episodes. None of them really caught fire like some of the you know '80s new wave ones do that we've done. So maybe people are less interested in classic yacht rock type songs. But "Come and Get Your Love" is really making a resurgence. Also, much like Brandy, and thanks probably to the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. And being a Native American rock star, I don't know too many others like that. My favorite part of that interview was, first of all, it just you let him go and he just rambles story after story. And I don't even know if they're all true or not, but they were great stories. But him talking about meeting those groupies, or his brother anyway, the groupies with the red paint and uh, the glitter. And then the next morning when his brother comes down out of the hotel, he's got red paint all over his face. Clearly from having like been with the groupies all night. That was a great story. That's what it's all about right there. You know? Yeah. I I didn't know anything about Pat Vegas. Um, did he say something about Bill Graham ended them? Yeah. They, um, he did. They had to can't, I'm forgetting who they were opening for, but I think at the last minute they had to cancel a show that Bill Graham was promoting. And um, he explained the reason why, and I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. But I guess after that, Bill Graham kind of blackballed him. Um, I don't know. This is not a knock against Pat. I, I'm i learning as I do these interviews in, you know, in retrospect about careers that have been going on for a long time that people sort of build up reasons in their mind why a particular album, like, you know, this album didn't work because the lyrics weren't good enough or it, we had the wrong producer or the guitarist was on drugs or whatever. And I think sometimes those are stories people tell themselves when in reality, it just didn't, no one liked it or no one wanted to buy it or the songs weren't good enough or the company didn't promote it like they should have. The reality is sometimes different than their stories. And I wondered if that was one of those things where like maybe the, you know, it just wasn't as sexy a time for Redbone. Gosh, I forgot their name. Maybe Redbone's moment had passed. I don't know, but yeah, it sounds like Bill Graham, according to him, kind of blackballed them from moving forward after that. Yeah, I had never heard of Redbone. I'd heard that song. Yeah. I had never heard of Redbone, and they must not have been on MTV at all. So no. I didn't know anything about these people. No. Yeah, they were done, I think, by like the mid to late 70s. Um, oh, okay. But their stuff, I, I mentioned it on there. It's If you like that song, it really does sound like Motown. Their stuff sounds like Motown on the reservation. I don't know how else to describe it. It's really fascinating stuff. And who doesn't like classic Motown? You know, if anyone gets a red bones, greatest hit, I think they'll be happy with it. There's a lot of good stuff on there. It's cool. Um, I don't know. I love that one. You did. Yeah. Yeah. Especially his, especially his stories with the, with the, with the groupies. Uh huh. That was absolutely, 
I am laughing. That's so rock and roll. Listening to, oh yeah. Yeah. That's just what you imagine rock and roll life being like. Um, yeah, I wish that I had put those Elliot and Pat in one episode just because um, I I try to kind of move things along. I've got like 12 interviews in the can right now, and I um, I wish I had combined them maybe into one, but it, I guess it doesn't matter in the end. Reliving My Youth, that was um, a one-off thing. that uh, So Noel Fogelman is the host of this other podcast, Reliving My Youth. He and I have a ton of crossover in our guests. I don't know if anyone else out, else out there listens to him. Maybe they do now that he's been on the show. One small criticism of Noel, he gets the best guests and yet the sound quality of his podcast is not great. And I wish that he had could find a way to improve that because I think he needs it in order to really kind of go to the next level. But he gets the best guests and uh, he and I have struck up a friendship and we're going to record another episode later this week, most likely for another kind of bonus like this. Let me say right now, I know that I screwed up on the um, on that episode. I got I'm the one who got that sound, the metronome sound in there wrong. So you mentioned Sonny not doing the production. I don't do the production on my end either. I'm hopeless at that stuff. And yeah, uh, what was that tick 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 pop yeah. pop pop? What was that? Oh, that was the, that was the metronome. Yeah. So uh, he sent me the file to post and it was in a file that uh, Podbean would not allow. And I'm thinking, well, normally I send that stuff off to Yan and he does whatever he does, converts it and posts it himself. And I thought, I'm always reliant on Yan. This sounds easy enough. I probably just have to download something that converts it to a file that Podbean will accept and I'll uh, I'll do it myself. And then I don't need Yan anymore for that. I, I, I put my big boy pants on. Well, Yan was getting on a plane to go to Switzerland to visit his sister. And he's like, I can't do it right now. We're about to take off, but I could do it later. And I thought, well, I don't want to put that in his lap. So I went to Paul Underwood, our fr- friend of our show. And um, Paul's like, oh, it's really easy. You just drag and drop it into GarageBand. Is that right, Yan? Yep. Yeah. Drag it into GarageBand. You, he showed me what to click and it converts it and that's it. And I did it and it worked great and I posted it. And that metronome sound was on there. And I thought, well, it's probably Noel's fault. He sent me the file and his sound quality is often suspect anyway. That's probably a Noel thing. That's not my fault. Turns out it was my fault. Paul had forgotten to tell me that you have to click something within GarageBand. It turns that thing off. I didn't know that. And so when it posted, it had this noise and it was 100% my fault. So All right. Anyway. Cause it, it, that'll be there by default when you open the file. So stupid. Who wants a metronome sound in their file? Why do they oh. default to that? <laughs> because GarageBand's set up to record music. I yeah, think. good point. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, good point. So anyway, that one got messed up, and that is 100% my fault. So I'm sorry to anybody who's listening. If you want to hear it without the metronome, you can go on Reliving My Youth's podcast feed, and it's on there. Download that one. It won't have the metronome sound. Did you listen to that, or have you checked out Reliving My Youth at all, Sonny? I had not heard of that podcast before. Uh, I did hear the episode uh, mm-hmm. that you did. I did not know any of the songs you guys talked about. So what's oh, really? crazy <laughs> is we're only a few years apart. We uh-huh. both grew up in America. We both love 80s. But you would think we're on different planets with some of this <laughs> stuff, because I'm like, where the hell are all these songs from? I don't remember any of these. <laughs> well, good. Well, that's kind of the part of the fun. I'm uh, <laughs> You know, hopefully it, that, that's kind of what makes 
covers of 80s songs special too, going back to that Terry whatever album, is that you these songs are in our blood. They're so embedded in us. And hearing you know new twists on them is what makes it kind of fun. And um, so that's why we thought that would be sort of a fun topic to go over. But anyway, hopefully there's some good stuff in there for people to, to uh, discover. Keith Scott, Brian Adams guitarist, was the next one. Are you a Brian Adams fan, Sonny? I absolutely love Brian Adams. Good. And I thought it was all Brian Adams and Jim Valance. I didn't even know who Keith Scott was. Really? Yeah. Wow. I had no idea until I listened to the episode. I'm like, wow, I've been listening to this guy since I was 14 years old and had no idea somebody else was doing the lead guitar. Crazy. Had no clue. Yeah. I, um, I had been trying to make that one happen for years, and... What's interesting is that all along, I assumed like those, you know, the riff of Cuts Like a Knife from the very beginning. All this time, I've always assumed that that was coming from Keith. That's actually what I learned. And this is not to take anything away from Keith. What I learned from this episode is that Brian Adams is even more talented than I thought he was before. Because those great riffs are often written and played by him. That Keith is the one sort of doing the guitar, you know, the solos and the the noodling over the top of songs. Those the riffs like um, "It's Only Love" and "Heat of the Night" and all these great songs with riffs. That's Brian coming up with that stuff, and I forgot all about that. So I was really, really proud of that episode and how it um, that he agreed to talk. He was such a nice, humble guy, and um, that we got some good information on those Brian Adams out. Brian has become so. I hate to say it, but he's kind of pushed out, you know, people, he went sort of soft or he went a different direction. He's not that guy in the leather jacket with the riffs anymore. And those of us that grew up on that really miss it and love it. And so I thought, well, let's talk to somebody about that stuff. Cause we love that. Um, anyway, I thought that would be kind of an interesting one. And he was really nice. Yeah. Yan, do they give, uh, CDs out at KFC with dinner in Europe? <laughs> <laughs> Because I feel like I'm missing out. I go to KFC all the time. I'm a fat guy, and I'm not getting any free music in America. No, they don't. Otherwise, I'd eat at KFC. <laughs> that was bizarre, right? That's crazy. Indonesia of all places. Yes. Like, whatever. I know. So strange. Yeah, I um, I was uh, I was really proud that that one came out, and people seem to like it. That's the, of all the episodes we've put out in probably the last four or five months that's the most popular one i was just praying that brian himself would share it and uh he never did but he shared it on like fan sites you know the different brian adams fan sites are on facebook he did put it on there so that was pretty good but um i would have given anything for brian adams himself to post on like twitter or facebook hey guys here's a great interview with our good friend and guitarist keith scott what could have happened if that had transpired but it didn't yeah and i love those stories about a song somebody else passed on yes and then it becomes this huge hit that makes i know it sounds bad but it makes the original per person seem like a complete dumbass <laughs> totally. so, so blue oyster cult passing on run to you that's yes yes and what now whenever i hear that song of course i hear the don't fear the reaper just, you know, the, that riff sort of switched around a little bit and it had never occurred to me before. And, uh, I love only the strong survive on into the fire. And to think that that was originally conceived for top gun and wasn't, wasn't, uh, cho chosen. And so it, it's like, of course these things were out there and I just never picked up on it. You know, 
Yeah. Okay, let's see. I think that was the one that was the one that uh, Paul Yes. Yes, that's right. Produced. Yeah. So Paul, let me give you a little bit. Paul Which worked out really well for me actually. Good. So Paul um, Paul Underwood, host of the of Glory Days Radio, he had recently come to me and said, you know, if you ever need backup or help pr- with production or Yan needs a break or anything like that, just tell me I'm happy to step in. And um, when the Keith Scott episode came around, which was only a few days later, um, Paul had flown out from Texas to Denver this past summer so that he and I could go see Brian at Red Rocks. And we were on like the sixth row and it was such a great show. And so when Keith, when I confirmed that I was going to be interviewing Keith and he was like, I would love to produce that one. And it sort of had this sentimental value because we had just gone to the show together. And so um, anyway, huge thanks to Paul for stepping in. We're probably, I might throw a little bit more his way in the future just so that Yan gets a break and we can spread the wealth and add a new member to the team and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, it turned out really nicely. Um, okay, Alan Shacklock. Did you know who Alan Shacklock was, Sonny, before that one came out? Uh, no clue. And I will tell you, I had a hard time with all the stories. It was almost too much name dropping. <laughs> like, I had a hard time listening. I'm like, okay, who's all in the room now? Because there's like 83 people in the room. <laughs> <laughs> right? It just reminded yes. me of like a grandpa that's 82 years old and is rocking chair just like spewing out names i'm like god i'm so lost (laughs) oh i couldn't believe i can't believe you said that that you're not the first that has told me that exact same thing it uh so much name dropping and so many stories and every you know every step along the way there are all these other i mean whether it's roger dean who created those yes albums is doing the babe ruth album or it's you know he grew up with Mick Taylor and uh, Glasscock from um, Jethro Tull and his path has crossed so many interesting people and I could barely get a word in as you may have noticed and that normally would have really driven me crazy but he was such his stories were so good I didn't mind it that much you know I get a lot of heat from people a lot of criticism that I talk over people and that I'm too much like oh great oh okay wow interesting that I do that too much. Um, but I couldn't help it when he would just name person after person who had been on the show or we had discussed this exact same thing he's talking about. I felt like I had to kind of insert myself. Otherwise, we might be here for like four or five hours, you know, while Alan just recounts every minute of his life, which would have been really interesting, you know, but I just, I felt like such a bystander, you know, but I'm just sitting there just letting him do it. And I, I wrote down, I'm like, okay, John, if you hit me and I hit the floor, it proves nothing either. <laughs> oh, that's great. Because you're a big guy. You hit me, I'm probably done. <laughs> oh, I, love, I love it. Yeah. I love it. That was great. Yeah, he was. Uh, he had so many great stories. I'm thinking about, he wants to come back on and share more. I covered all the ground of his that I was familiar with, like Roger Daltrey and The Alarm and Meatloaf. So it would mostly just be stuff I don't even know about that he probably has great stories on. We might bring him back. He actually apologized afterwards for talking too much, but I told him he didn't need to worry about that. Um, and well, that, that was another one, I would say, Sonny, where none of the guests, none of the people he talked about shared the episode either. You mentioned Lizzie Hale sharing the kicks episode of yours. 
I wish anything that like Roger Daltrey had, you know, posted, Hey, here's a great, here's a great podcast with our old producer. And there's some interesting story, you know, anything like that, but they never do. Well, you know, meatloaf was going to be out for sharing that one, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That one did, that didn't surprise me so much. (laughs) Oh, meatloaf, man. He, uh, what a handful that guy must be. I love him, but what a handful. My gosh. And I just, I just had a, a thought. I, when I was listening to the episode, I was at Costco, and I'm looking at like Halloween candy, and I must have out loud said, damn, when he was taking shots of meatloaf. This lady next to me is looking at me going, okay, this guy's a little crazy. <laughs> yes. That is so fascinating. Someone's shopping for Halloween candy listening to us, Yan. Can you believe that? That is just yes. that my that blows my mind. Little things like that, I love uh, it. I, I, I love that one. I lo- loved that. He was awesome. Yeah, so many great stories. Um, I wish I'd, I'd I'd be totally up for more stories from him. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I might just turn on the recorder and let him do it, and I just remain quiet. Um, okay, well, good. So Robin Scott, also known as M. Um, that one was kind of a game changer for me. We were chatting. We didn't have a lot. So here's the deal. I've been trying to get him on for a couple of years and I would email him and months would go by and I'd never hear back and I'd try again and he would reply and say something sort of, um, noncommittal, like, well, what exactly are we going to talk about? And then I'll reply and then I won't hear from him again for months and months. And so when he finally agreed to come on... I thought, well, this guy's been really slippery. I don't know if he'll, how long he'll even want to chat. So I only broke out like an hour for it. And, uh, but we were doing pretty well. And I had like maybe 15 minutes more uh, of stuff I wanted to ask him about. So I said, well, look, I got to go to my kid's soccer game. Do you mind if tomorrow we do this again just for a few more minutes? And uh, he's like, yeah, no problem. So we scheduled it for the next day. I cover the last couple of things I want to talk about. And then he starts asking me all these questions. And um, no one had ever done that before. And I was, it was a really interesting conversation from my end, obviously, because it had to do with me, but I wasn't sure if anyone else would care. And I didn't want him to think that if I put it out that way, that I was sort of um, taking advantage. You know, we had like an intimate moment of two guys just chatting and talking about deep stuff that mattered to us. And I didn't want him to think that I created that situation on purpose for fodder for our dumb little podcast and so i actually got his uh approval first before i included it in there because i and i didn't want him to think that i was taking advantage but it turned out nice and now i just have to find a way to start putting on concerts have you ever promoted a concert sonny uh no i haven't uh well no i used to book gigs really and i i managed bands for a minute but uh yeah i never put on actual concert What's managing a band like? Is it? That uh, sounds difficult. Babysitting. Yeah. I call it babysitting. It's, uh, you know, everything becomes your problem. I, it was early in my life, so I was either going to go retail or music management because I didn't have enough talent to actually be a musician. So mm-hmm. when I got into it, thank God I got out of it early because right out of the gate, I'm like, okay, this is worse than retail. I, mm-hmm. I can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can to, imagine. To be f- to be fair to you, though, some of the musicians that are out there putting stuff out don't have the talent to be musicians either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was worse than them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. 
That's true. Yeah, it just feels hard, especially in this day and age. I don't know how anyone does it, you know. Um, but when he was, as I said on there, I, I got to find a way. And I kind of had a little bit of an epiphany about this. So um, I don't know if, you, if you've ever paid for one of these, but some artists go around and do house concerts, you know, like Pat Denizio from the Smithereens for years. You could, if you paid him enough, he would come over to your house and just perform in your living room. And you could invite a bunch of friends over. It's the intimacy of that sort of a surrounding that I would like to achieve, but in a small club with maybe three or four other guests of ours telling those kinds of stories, especially after Keith Scott, who I know would never do something like this. He doesn't sing anyway. But could you imagine if Keith Scott were in a little club telling the stories that he was telling from that podcast and he comes out for 45 minutes and he tells those stories and then Robin Scott comes out. And here's the deal. This is why I think this might help a little bit for people like Robin. Everyone only cares about pop music. You know, that's the song everyone knows. They're not really interested in anything else that he's doing. But if he could come out and tell you stories about those things, like this is a, when I recorded this song originally, David Bowie did the hand claps. You suddenly start, as a person in the room, start feeling more invested in this song. You may not know, but now it matters to you. Because it's attached to a story that recall names you know, people you like, and you feel more invested in the artist than performing the song. If we could put like three or four people on the same bill, have them play in a club to, I don't know, three to five hundred people, that to me sounds like a really interesting night. That's what I had in mind with like this hustle fest thing that I was talking about. Do you think that carries any weight, Sonny? Or is this, does anyone else, would anyone else even think that was interesting? I love the storyteller type concerts. Uh, I went to a Zach Wilde when he wrote the book. Mm. He was reading chapter, you know, parts of the chapters and telling us about the stories and then playing a song or two. So I love those type of things. And I used to love VH1 storytellers. Mm -hmm. So I think it has merit. The, you know, the issue with it is it's risky because you're putting money out there and yeah. then how do you promote it and where do you do it? And yeah. so you kind of, you know, it's just kind of like the rockin' pod, right? You're yeah. kind of out there a little bit. But uh, if you can afford to take the chance, it might be worth it. Vegas. Yeah, well, and that um, that's a thing, too. I mentioned last Thanksgiving, um, I went. my parents live in southern Utah, St. George, down on the way to Vegas. So we go there for Thanksgiving every year. And um, because we had had Joe Esposito and Randy Hall on the show and their musical partners in Vegas – I offered to take them out to dinner. And so I drove down to Vegas one night and took them out to dinner. And we were talking about this very thing, a little bit bigger scale. What if we um, put on a show in Vegas at one of the clubs there and we had people like those two, um, a bunch of artists come on and sing songs they've done for movies. Joe does It's the Best Around or You're the Best Around. Randy Hall does his song from Can't Buy Me Love. Robert Tepper comes out and does No Easy Way Out. And Angel of the City, I believe, that was in Cobra. G. Tom Mack comes out. Gerard McMahon does um, uh, Cry Little Children. and uh, Or Cry Little Sister, I'm sorry. Tim Capello does I Believe. I Still Believe. If we had a night like that, you know, where and there's a big movie screen behind them and the scene that their song goes to is sort of playing behind them and they tell stories again. We could even have the same band, who I assume Joe and Randy would know, local musicians that could just stay on the on the stage and back up every one of these people. I thought that would be really fun, but I don't know how to do that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I don't have a clue either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need to figure that out. And I don't know if if anyone would care. You know, I don't know if that's if just I think that's interesting and no one else does. I'm not sure. But anyway, did you know anything about Robin Scott other than pop music? Did you even know pop music? I didn't even know pop music. Really? Um, yeah, wow. yeah. So when I was listening, I wrote down a couple of notes. I, First thing I wrote was that Paris Metro sign story. I call BS. I think it is McDonald's that he got the M from. Um, and then uh, the one that probably hit me the most is, you know, I, I'll, like we said, I'm a hard rock fan. So, uh-huh. you know, I've experienced Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai, Randy Rhodes, Paul Gilbert, Ingbe Malmsteen. But he was talking about Hendrix. And there is something about the classic guys that still resonate, yeah. although... They're not around anymore, and they haven't been around for a while, and they're really kind of out of my age bracket a little bit, but something about them, and I think it's because they influenced the next generation that I was really into, that I'm a huge Hendrix fan, mm-hmm. although I'm a fan of all these other people. Sure. So I, it's interesting how how much staying power they have. That's very true. You know, I um, <laughs> this is a weird correlation, but ESPN has been showing these basketball, a love story documentary lately do you i don't know if you care about that or watch it but every week there's two two hour long it's called basketball a love story and they um they're just recounting like the history of basketball and when they talk about the old guys like george mikan and um havlicek and bob Cousy and even wilt chamberlain to some degree these guys you know they they were the best of their era but the game has changed so much that who knows how effective they would be in the current game of basketball are they quick enough are they agile enough do they shoot three pointers all that kind of stuff a parallel the reason i mention all that is because um i think even to this day no one has improved on whatever Jimi hendrix found or managed to explore within the guitar I, i don't think anyone has been able to top that whereas some things like sports evolve and change over the years in terms of health and athleticism and body types and whatever I don't think anyone has quite taken what Hendrix laid out there and improved on it. Maybe they changed it or did their own version of it, but I don't know if anyone's quite exceeded it. Maybe you feel differently, Sonny, because you're more of a hard rock guy than I am. No, that makes complete sense. You could say the same thing for the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's certain songwriting teams. Um, so that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, good. Um Okay, let's talk about Bob Rock. I, that one was tricky because I um, I know that probably people like you and others like you, Sonny, are out there wanting to go deep on like Metallica's Black Album and Dr. Feelgood and um, whatever else, you know, Aerosmith, all this kind of stuff. And I just thought he agreed to talk to me because I was, I promised to cover mostly the Paolas and I don't want to, piss him off by having by you know touching on the payolas for five minutes and then ooh let's talk about all the stuff that you you know get asked about all the time and so I had to find this delicate balance between doing giving the payolas their due diligence and having him talk about that but then also hopefully covering some new ground with the stuff that he you know is mostly known for were you as a someone who likes hard rock was that one okay with you uh, that one was totally okay with me because I've heard all those other stories. Okay. Like, I I had no idea about the Valley Girls soundtrack thing and the Paolas. Um, I have a Paola. He said none of, none of it's on CD. 
I somehow got a uh, be- between a rock and a hide place. Yes. The best of the payolas. I've had it for a while. I don't know where I got it from though. That's out there. I don't think the individual albums. Uh, oh, like no stranger okay. to danger and I can't remember the first. Anyway, um, I, I think the individual albums have not been issued on CD. And that's another thing that I I'm just in shock. It's like you're Bob Rock. All you have to do is call some label and just be like, "Hey, I've made billions of dollars for you. How about in re- how about in return you put my little band CDs out and make them available on iTunes, please?" You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I thought yeah, I thought that was a little weird. And I, he kind of copped out on the finance part of it too. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was really interested to hear about his finances. Yeah. Um, but uh I, those are bad. one of these that you just kind of have to uh extract from what uh, let's see he lives in hawaii he didn't get a point on slippery when wet but that was rectified on things like the black album and other things so i'm assuming that he is doing fine financially (laughs) i but oh i was gonna say you know this is one thing that's come up i feel like producers actually probably have it worse than artists do at this point because producers can't go back out on tour you know what i mean no band is coming to them with these huge per diems wanting their expertise. It's all you have to attract. You have to kind of attach yourself to some young band and hope that they take off and that that then because no one those big budgets for big, excellent producers aren't there anymore. Tony Visconti, Rupert Hine, even Shacklock, you know, they don't uh, they've been sort of pushed out of the industry, I believe, because people are just going to noodle around at home on GarageBand. So long as they remember to turn off the metronome, okay? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, unless you flip to pop, right? So if yes. Bob Rock wants to go do the next Taylor Swift album, then that's a different story. Good point. Good point. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Uh, and then if Prince called me three times, dude, I would have just left <laughs> what I was doing. I, I, there is nobody that I listen to, including the Beatles, that I would have not left to go work for Prince. Really? I wondered that same thing. I thought, what could you possibly be doing that you can't hop on a plane and go see Prince right this minute? But I guess I guess he couldn't do it. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, that I, liked, like. I liked the angle we went with that one. I actually enjoyed listening to, the, listening to that more because I know some of the... the hard rock based stories that he's had with all those other bands those have been covered so many times mm-hmm. by other places yeah so the angle that we had i really liked yeah i um you know i purposely didn't want to have him explain saint anger again for the millionth time and that kind of thing and so and i i like loverboy you know i'm not saying i like loverboy better than some of those bands but i think they're kind of an underrated great rock band and i thought well let's no one asks him about Loverboy. Let's hear some stories about that, you know? But anyway, I thought it might be a little different. And once again, none of the people on that who were included in that conversation shared the episode or anything like that. It still does pretty well. I think people probably Google Bob Rock more than they do maybe Pat Vegas. And so they, uh, you know, it pops up a little more often and they find it. But it would have been nice if any one of the bands we covered in that in that episode would have also shared that episode but anyway um okay tony brock now this one this you, you and i are spit brothers on tony brock sonny <laughs> yeah we uh uh Stephen interviewed tony brock and wally stalker 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, God, like episode 27, maybe. It's 28, something in there. It was earlier. Yeah. I didn't know that. So I, um, it's interesting. It turns out Tony's been on Rock Solid and all these other podcasts, and I had no memory of any of that. So I had been wanting forever. I kept meaning to figure out who the band is that's performing at the dance in uh, just one of the guys because they're called Brock and Davis. And I thought, I've never heard of Brock and Davis. I don't know what that is. Who are Brock and Davis? So one day I finally was like, I got to start researching this. And I figure out that Brock is Tony Brock from the babies. I think, well, no way. Okay, well then I want I want to talk to him. I wonder if he'd talk to me and because that gives us even more to talk about. So I find him on Facebook. He accepts the friend request. I send him a note. He said, yeah, absolutely. Let's chat sometime. We schedule it. And what I often do is after the, I get someone locked in, I, I start Google imaging already because I'm curious, ooh, I wonder what picture I'm going to attach to this episode when we put it out there. I Google image Tony Brock and a picture of him standing with Pat Francis and Kyle Dodson from Rock Solid comes up. And I'm like, no way. He was already on Rock Solid. I'm sure I even listened to it and I didn't remember at all. And as I've mentioned before, I get less excited about interviewing people if I know their stories have been told multiple times and they're already out there. I like feeling like I'm sort of shedding light on somebody who doesn't get talked about that often. So then I'm like, no way. So I text Pat Francis and say, I'm about to talk to Tony Brock. What's he like? And we chit-chatted. Then I go to the baby's website and there's the Grown Up Rock logo (laughs) featured prominently right on there. I'm like, what? I just felt like a, I'm getting like everyone's sloppy seconds or thirds on this one, you know? So I purposely didn't listen to your interview until after I did my own. And I'm glad I didn't. I, I felt like our inter- what Stephen and I did were very different. Stephen did more of like a career retrospective album by album, which was great. And I did more like, uh, then you worked with Eddie Money and then you worked with Rod Stewart. Then you worked with J- Jimmy Barnes. And so we had different approaches, which was great. But anyway, that's a long way of saying I had no idea he had already been on all these podcasts. <laughs> and no, and I love the Rod Stewart conversation because I'm a huge fan of like Baby Jane infatuation. Uh, you know, I've heard stuff about John Waite from other people too, but God, I really love John Waite. So wow. I really dismiss all that stuff because I love bad English. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked all of John Waite's solo stuff. I saw him recently at a club. Nice. Uh, he's doing some acoustic shows, so I kind of dismissed that stuff. But uh, I thought it was great. He asked you questions at the end. I know. That was another one. That It always feels good. He was really nice about that. Um, I thought that tuna fish story about rubbing a little tuna on the microphone in the booth for, <laughs> for Rod Stewart. <laughs> and I'm just imagining Rod after like eight or nine days coming out of the booth like, do you guys not smell that? What is that? And everyone else is like, no, I don't smell anything, Rod. I don't know what you're talking about. It turns out they smear a little tooth, a little tuna fish on Rod's microphone. That is classic, you know. That had me rolling. <laughs> That's awesome. I loved it. Um, have you seen the? Ba- were you a Babies fan? Uh yeah, yeah. Were so okay. it was interesting. You were mentioning all the songs. You never mentioned Head First. That's my favorite Babies song. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. I um, I know that anthology. I wasn't. Two, I've heard their albums like on Spotify, but I wasn't like a baby's expert, you know? So I, I, when that happens and someone and that person has sort of collaborated with all these other people, I like to move off and hope that there's stories involved in those things rather than going deep on the, on their individual music. I should have probably done that, but I didn't. 
I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, that's okay. No, no, it's not an issue. I was just like, hey, they didn't mention head first. Yeah. Yeah, I know. There was a, that's the risk you take is you kind of skim over a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and that too much ain't enough love uh, sounds like human yes. to me. It does, doesn't it? Okay, good. Thank you for saying that. Yes, the first few seconds of human and too much ain't enough love are almost identical. And uh, I know he didn't know what I was talking about, but I hope people who listened heard what I heard. They are almost identical, correct? Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, okay, good. Yeah, and how you doing? You got any thoughts? Good. No, I'm, you know, I was just, you know, when I played those two and I listened to the two songs together, I'm like, oh, this is the same. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I, I definitely thought that too. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, Joyce Heiser, I, I might do more of these. I don't know. Did you know just one of the guys, Sonny? Is that one of the movies that you grew up with or anything? Yeah, I saw. I haven't seen the movie in a long time, and I wanted to watch it after I heard the episode. But it's not on Netflix. It's not on Amazon. So you have to get it on DVD, and I don't have it. Yeah. And she's not been in much else. So, but if you wanted, I don't think there's anything wrong with you flipping to this and doing some of these movies because Joyce uh, Heiser was a great interview. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I appreciate you saying that. I have thought about that since the very beginning, um, like widening the umbrella of what, you know, we cover on this podcast to me, my mind, I, maybe I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm that organized a person, but in my mind, I think, well, let's keep this one music. And then if we ever find ourselves unemployed, like I might be in a few days here, um, we do one that I, cause I would love to do one on like athletes, you know, like you work your whole life to become a professional athlete and, the Atlanta Braves sign you to a 17-day contract, and then that's it, and you never play again. What's what's that? What is that like? What do you do with the rest of your life after that? Do you sell insurance? I think something like that is kind of interesting, and then also actors and actresses. But the bandwidth just isn't there. But she had been my one. Like if I could speak to anyone, it would be her. That would have been my my dream interview. And so I thought, well, it makes the most sense to do it right now. Um, with Tony Brock. So I might find tie-ins like that more often. I was talking with BJ recently about that. He said, you know, the hustle applies to everybody. You should you should seek out comedians or writers or whatever else interests you. Um, so I might do that. I might do more of it. I don't know. Yeah, And I think the entertainment world, I think BJ's right, because the entertainment world is very connected. Yeah. Right? So um, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with keeping the hustle and making instead of music and money, it's music, movies and money. Yeah, I, mean, I don't maybe. Who knows? Yeah, you're probably right. I should look into it. Um, yeah, I, my thoughts on that are, you know, especially when you've got, say, like that situation when you were doing Tony that was in that played music in the movie. Definitely go look for somebody if you know you've got a music soundtrack come one mm-hmm. that's a music soundtrack based coming up go talk to somebody that was in it yeah and see and see how they thought yeah i need to do i'm going to try and do that more often and that one i could have that one was kind of tricky for me too because i've seen i own that movie on dvd and i've seen it countless times and um i could have gone you know frame by frame with her tell me what it's like in this scene and what were you thinking here and so here's another thing too and this happened this happened also with eg daily Joyce, bless her heart, shared our episode. 
and it had a couple hundred likes and it had a bunch of comments and almost every comment was a guy who said something to the effect of, I thought you were so hot in the eighties or that last scene when you show your boobs, I've had a crush ever since, or, um, you're the best Joyce, so hot in this or that. It's kind of a lot of like skeevy guys. EJ, EG Daily, I noticed had the same thing happen to her. And I thought, I don't want these women especially to feel like that's why I want to talk to them. Because I've been, you know, harboring some crush forever. And this is some kind of slimy way for me to like, you know, fulfill a dream that way. That's really, that's not, I was trying very hard not to go there with her. Because uh, that's not really, that wouldn't have been accurate anyway. So I, um, she didn't have a lot of time. I felt a little bit like I kind of, we had been talking about doing it for months and she would say, yeah, I'll do it. And then she would disappear for a couple of weeks and then I'd write her back and she'd say, oh yeah, how about this week? How about this time? And then she'd have to cancel. And so I kept putting off when I was going to put out Tony's episode because I wanted them to go together. And, uh, anyway, I could have talked to her for hours. I could have covered staying alive with Travolta and, and Sylvester Stallone. I could have covered Valley Girl, but as it was, I wanted to keep it short in case she didn't actually want to talk to me or think that I was, you know, some slimy guy just fulfilling some teenage fantasy. So anyway, I tried to be more productive, more uh, professional than that. Uh, okay. Let's see. Chris Barron. This is the last one. Are you a Spin Doctors fan, Sonny? Uh, I just know the hits. Yeah. Yeah, all of that 90s music, especially if it wasn't hard rock, uh, the grunge and the kind of alternative rock lost me a little bit. Did it? Yeah. Yeah, I. Um, were you a Spin Doctors fan, Yeah. Uh, yeah, a bit, yeah. Okay. And uh, But then I'm, in, I'm into the alternative stuff anyway. Yeah. I think I hate to admit it. Two Princes is one of those songs, kind of like Love Shack by the B-52s, where I don't. I've heard it enough, kind of now. It doesn't. I don't really need to hear it anymore. But I will say, getting prepared to talk to him and going back over their whole catalog, it was way better than I thought it would be. Um, I hadn't heard that stuff in a long time, and he was such a nice, self-effacing, down-to-earth, regular guy, good humor about himself. That um, he really kind of won me over. I thought, well, I might have to pay this band a little bit more attention than I had been doing. Because I'm like you, the 90s, I always say the 90s killed fun. That's kind of my tagline for the 90s, because the 80s were so innocent and experimental. And yes, there was, you know, a lot of indulgence and stuff like that, but it felt sort of, it just that innocent, people trying new synthesizers and trying new things and the fashion and the sound was, you know, exploratory. Whereas the 90s just put us big, it was like, that stuff is so lame. We are bringing it, dialing it right back down to basics. And it's never quite gotten back. And so I, I, some people who listen to the 80s and they're like, oh, that sounds so dated to me. I can't hear that sound anymore. That's sort of how I feel about 90s rock, especially stuff like him and Matchbox 20 and Blind Melon and Blues Traveler and all the bands he talked about. There's something about that sound that just takes me back to the 90s and it, it's not as delicious or tasty a sound as I like but he was a really nice guy i like talking to him a lot yeah and i remember seeing them on snl oh you do you saw that yeah 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 i remember seeing them because i used to watch saturday night live a lot i don't watch it as much anymore but yeah and i love the atm over and over stories know, that's something that i would do 
that was something I would do is like, oh, the bank made a mistake. I'm not going to do nothing. Then keep coming back to see if the mistake got worse. <laughs> I thought that was such a great way to describe watching success happen kind of in real time. You know? Yeah. That's what, that's really what it boils down to. One minute I have 2,500 bucks and the next minute I have 50,000 bucks. And where did this come from? And, oh, this is reality now. That's got to be mind blowing for these people. You know? Yeah, I thought he was great. I'm glad we did that. Um, Okay. That that, that one was a a challenge for me. Oh, really? Why? Just because he he ummed and ahed so much. And that that coincided with me going out to see uh, Alison Krauss. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you went to Alison Krauss' last Tuesday night in concert, I believe. And how was it? What's the report? Oh, if you ever get the chance, go. Are you a fan, Sonny? Uh, I only know a couple of songs. She's more country, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I only know a couple of songs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just incredible voice, incredible talent. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, he had a lot of bums. Wait until you start working on uh, this week's episode, Yeah, It, um, tons of us. Lots of us and ums, and the sound quality is terrible. I feel really kind of almost embarrassed about the episode coming out this week. It'll be out by the time I say this. It's uh, Lee Rocker from the Stray Cats. And uh, I like the Stray Cats and I've been wanting to have him on for a long time. And, but when a guest insists on calling me, I can't use Skype. So I've got to record it on my phone. And I use this app called Tape Call and it used to be totally reliable. And now the last few times I use it, it, this weird buzzing sound comes in from time to time out of nowhere. And I don't know how to fix it. I don't know why it happens. And it was just the worst it's ever been when I was interviewing Lee Rocker from Stray Cats. And uh, so, anyway, I feel kind of bad about that one. But that's going to be this week's episode. Well, then we'll get into the last section here, Sonny. Unless anyone has any other thoughts on recapping or old episodes or anything like that. Are we good? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Yep, good. Okay. Sonny, you came up with a brilliant topic for us to discuss today. What is that topic? Explain it to us. So I know that you guys do top threes. So I wanted to get involved in a top three. And my teenage year, so years 13 to 19 years old, was from 83 to 89. So I've always wondered what other people thought of the number one hits that happened during my teenage years because there were some really terrible number one hits. But then there were some songs that should have probably been number one that never got there. So... What we did, um, we decided to do like a top three should have been a number one single in this seven-year time frame. And I just took the Billboard 100 data and sent it to you guys and said, all right, these are the you know 100 or so songs that were number one in those seven years. And here's the 500 that weren't. You know, And each of us probably took a different approach. I took the approach of it's a song I liked and it had a shot. Mm that I felt like it had a shot where, you know, nobody's going to beat, beat it or mm-hmm. Billy Jean. Right. So even if you love the song, it's probably not going to get the number one. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, that was kind of my thought process. I liked it a lot. I, uh, kind of went through different variations on how I was going to determine my choices. At first I thought I would pick three songs that are still, still so ubiquitous today that we, it would be shocking to learn that they weren't number one. And then I thought, but I don't, 
like Love Shack that I just mentioned was on there and Everybody Have Fun Tonight by Wang Chung and Danger Zone and Pour Some Sugar on Me. And these are all songs that were not, never quite hit number one. And I, th- But then I thought, those songs are, I don't want to talk about those songs. <laughs> They've been talked about enough, you know? And so uh, I went through other criteria and I decided that I was going to pick three songs that are just songs that I love. And I purposely went for people who have not been on the show because I feel like I've already talked to them. Like, for instance, uh, Pseudo Echo had Funky Town on there. I love that song, but I had Pseudo Echo on here. We've discussed it. So I kind of wanted to branch out a little bit and pick things by people that I would love to have on the show, but haven't yet. So that's my criteria. Yan, what about you? So I went for through it and there's, <laughs> I went down the rabbit hole quite a bit because mm-hmm. I look at some of the stuff and, and you look at things, what? That was number one? No way. <laughs> so I'll give you an example. One of the ones I'd thought about uh, heck, I'm actually going to go with it anyway. I'll ch- I'll, cha- I'll do a change right now. So, one of the ones I'd looked at and, and I thought, how come did that did not do number one? Surely that was number one somewhere. And I go digging, and sure enough, it wasn't number one on the Billboard 100, but it was number one somewhere else around the world. And uh, so for that one, I'm going to go with Glenn Medeiros. Nothing's going to change my love for you. That actually made number one in the UK. Really? Yep. Wow. That, uh, I've thought many times about trying to get Glenn on the show. I will admit, I'm not a huge fan of, like, that, of his stuff, but I hear he runs a, like, a private school in Hawaii now, or something like that. I've thought about going after him and seeing if I can get him on the show, because I think that might be a really interesting story. Well, that's so that's your number three pick. Nothing's going to change yeah. my love for you. Um, a quick story. I believe the one and only time that a girl ever dedicated a song to me on the radio, she dedicated that song. And that was Robin Bosworth, my junior or senior year in high school. I don't remember. So thank you, Robin, for de- for dedicating that song to me uh, one time. Do you remember that song, Sonny? Yeah, yeah, I remember that song. It's a good song. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm surprised it wasn't number one here, but it does not surprise me it wasn't that it was number one in other places. Yeah. Okay, well, good. That's a first pick. Do you have any... Now, Yan, we had talked about this. Why don't we do, since we're doing pretty good on time, why don't we read off our top three, and at the end, maybe a couple of honorable mentions, each of us. Yeah, yeah that's okay. fair. Okay. Um, I'll go next, and since you're the you're the special guest, Sonny, we'll put, you can go last, okay? Perfect. Okay. So for my number three, the song that I picked is the number 94, it was the 94th, I guess, most popular song of 1984, I hope I'm reading your spreadsheet correctly, is On the Dark Side by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. You know, that band, what an interesting story, because you're, you become so famous for being tied to a movie that you, in order to be successful have to adopt the persona or at least the name of the movie because no one knows who you are otherwise. No one knows what John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band is, but Eddie and the Cruisers at that time is carrying weight. So you kind of have to, you put out your own music, it's unique to you, but you have to put it out under the name of the band that you, someone was lip syncing to in a movie that got popular because that's how you have to be successful. 
I think that's a really interesting story. First of all, I love that song, On the Dark Side. It is so good. He takes a lot of heat for being like a Springsteen clone. But I gotta be honest, I would probably rather listen to John Cafferty's 80s output than Springsteen's 80s output. I've heard Born in the USA enough. I'd rather listen to On the Dark Side. They were a great band, believe it or not. Most people, I think, probably consider them a one-hit wonder. They were not. Uh, they had four songs that cracked the top 40 on the dark side. Tender Years hit number 31, Tough All Over hit number 22, and CITY hit number 18. And uh, I have tried for all along, one of the very first people, the very first night that I conceived of this podcast when I couldn't sleep, I emailed nine artists that night to see if they would come on the show. Five of them the next morning, four of them said yes, one of them said no. The other four never replied, and he was one of those people. And I've been trying every so often since then to get him on, and I can't, I have not been able to make it happen. Uh, he and Edgar Winter and Eddie Money came through Denver about five or six years ago and did a Christmas show. And uh, he came on first. He was fantastic. He came out in the crowd. He was someone on, on someone's shoulders that was standing right next to me. Um, Eddie Money came out and was such a clown. He barely sang anything. He just kept holding the microphone out for everyone else to do all the singing. It was really weird. But anyway, I love John Cafferty. That's my John Cafferty story. Do you remember that song, Sonny? Uh, yeah. The minute I saw it on the list, like the chorus popped into my head, uh -huh. right? So I was surprised that it had, it had stalled at seven. So I went and looked at the chart that it was competing with. Man, it had some stiff competition. Because really? above it was Purple Rain, Let's Go Ooh. Crazy, Lucky Star, Hard Habit to Break, Wake Me Up For You, Go-Go. I Just Called to Say I Love You was number one. That's, it, had yeah, some yeah, it, it was tough competition. They were lucky that. to have reached seven then, honestly, yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. Okay, I love that song. Do you recognize that song, Yan? I should, but I probably, mm. I'd have to listen to it again to make sure it's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, you probably would. You'd probably know it. Uh, okay, Sonny, number three, tell us. All right, so my number three is a Rick Springfield song called Affair of the Heart. It was off Living in Oz in 83. It stalled at number nine. Uh, that's the highest it got, and it was like June 25th when it got there. Mm. Now, Rick Springfield was just coming off of winning a Grammy for Jesse's Girl in 82, and then he was nominated again for this song, but, uh, you know, he didn't win, obviously. Synth heavy guitar so for me you know I, I was an MTV's kid an MTV kid and that's how I kind of got into hard rock because just like you said the 80s were all about fun so I saw sex drugs and rock and roll on TV and I'm like I want to be that guy um, <laughs> for some reason the 90s all became about all the stuff everybody was addicted to yeah. I guess it had something to do with sex drugs and rock and roll but whatever um, yeah so when I saw that he had songs that had the pop sensibility and the tribing guitar riff, I immediately fell in love. And it's surprising to me that this didn't hit number one because it's 83, so Quiet Riot, Rat, Bon Jovi, Whitesnake is just about to happen. So it would have been interesting if this song comes out maybe two years later, it would have combined the best of both worlds and probably had a shot. It's the only song that I know of that has the words consummate skill in it. I've never heard that in any other song. And just to give you an idea, it stalled at nine, but it was competing against Never Gonna Let You Go by Sergio Mendez, Don't Let It End by Styx, Family Man by Hall & Oates, Less Dance, David Bowie, 
every breath you take that's a tough one because mm. it was it was uh number one for eight weeks total Jeez. electric avenue by eddie grant oh. time by culture club and then it, uh, when it was number nine and it topped out flash dance was on a six-week run um with the song by irene cara so yeah it had a shot, probably, if, uh, by some of those songs, but it would have probably never believed the, beat the police. But it's yeah. a great song. It is. I um, I feel like Rick Springfield, bless his heart, is one of these artists that has had a sort of re-thought or a recontextualization of his career over the last few years. I think for a while there, he was sort of pigeonholed as like a pretty boy who did pop fluff music. But maybe it was his appearance on the Sound City documentary a few years ago. He's become sort of embraced by today's music critics and even some of today's bands. And it finally is sort of putting him in the light that he deserves, which is that much like Brian Adams material from around that same period, it is just the best of what pop rock had to offer at that time. And there's nothing that anyone should have to apologize for that sound. And so I feel like he's finally starting to be uh, taken as the artist that he always deserved to be. I saw him in concert just about a month ago with my wife and she kind of hated it because in concert, he's actually much harder than he is on record. These pop songs come off almost more like hard rock when, when they're done live, but yeah. he's a great guy. And uh, well, seems like a great guy. I hear he's actually a very tortured guy. So who knows in real life what he's really like, but I am glad that his music gets the attention it deserves. And I have to be honest, too, and maybe you feel this way, Sonny. I like Jesse's Girl, but it bothers me that that song casts a shadow over all the other stuff that he's done. Because that's just one of many big hits to me, but it's the one that keeps getting talked about. I wish that like Human Touch or Affairs of the Heart or Bop Till You Drop or one of these other songs that was really big, too, could kind of vie for some, some of that same attention, but instead we get Jesse's girl all the time. That kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. Um, the movie that he was in hard to hold, uh, oh. back in the mid eighties. I love that movie. It's you one did? of my, like, Oh, I've oh, seen that twice it. and it sucks. Oh, oh I love that movie. Really? Love it. Love Great. it. Okay, and, good. and Springfield wrote a book called late, late at night. And I'm not an avid reader. I honestly actually hate reading mm. and thank God it was an audiobook form so I could listen to it. <laughs> yeah. One of the best stories I've ever heard on any kind of audiobook. So if you are a Springfield fan and yeah. listening, you gotta go read that book. It's called Late Late at Night. It's awesome. Okay. Very cool. I will check that out. I love him. Uh very good. Okay. Uh Yan, give us number two on your list. So my number two is the Pointer Sisters. I'm so excited. I could not believe that was not number one. I just uh, how can that not be a number I one? Know. It's, it's used so much after the fact. Yeah. I mean, to give you an example, even now, or, or I say even now, but back in the 90s, Cadbury's used it for one of their, uh, for their for ads for their chocolate bars, and they've used it again, sampled by somebody else. Ooh. Interesting. You know, that's one of those songs kind of like uh, I view it sort of as wa like Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves, which also I considered as one of those songs you'd be shocked wasn't number one because it's become just background music from commercials and movies and trailers and everything else. It's kind of shocking. It's become so a part of our lives. We take for granted that at one time it was a single on the radio 
that no one had heard of vying to for the number one spot, you know? I, I, I thought it was excellent. And it was a toss-up between that and Neutron Dance for them, for mm. me, for, yeah. for um, being surprised. But ne- neither one made it to number one, but I, I, I really love that song. And for me now, it ties back to Cadbury's Crunchy. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's awesome. My favorite uh, Pointer Sister song is Automatic, which came oh. out around that same time. I love that song. What were you going to say, Sonny? Yeah. So I'm so excited. It was actually released twice. So it was released in 82, and it topped out like at number 39. And then it was remixed and released in 84. But the problem was it was on the charts the same time Dark Side was competing against all those Prince Really? Songs. Same time, November no 84. So it got stuck with the same Lucky Star, Wake Me Up For You Go-Go. Purple Rain. Wow. Same. Yeah. Who knew? Oh, man. Well, good one. Okay, good pick. Uh, number two on my list. The number 67 song of 1988. People might be surprised to know how much I love this track. It's If It Isn't Love by New Edition. I discovered New Edition on American Bandstand. They came on American Bandstand one Saturday. In, in the earlier, like, Candy Girl, um, you know, Mr. Telephone Man era. And I thought they were fun and cute, but it was a little gimmicky, I guess, to me, that early New Edition sound. I mean, it's fun. I like it, but it's, it wasn't... I didn't feel compelled to go buy the record or anything. But they were all grown up by the time this song came out in 88. And uh, Bobby Brown was no longer in the group. By the way, just to let people in on a little something something. I'm working on interviews with New Edition and Bobby Brown right now as we speak. I'm waiting for confirmation on both. Hopefully they happen soon. They were all grown up. Uh, Ralph Tresvent's voice went from being that high-pitched little boy song to something a little, uh, singing to a little more sultry. Johnny Gill from Rub You The Right Way was in the band. The video to this shows them all like rehearsing and dancing and sweaty. They look like young men instead of little boys. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis produced this thing. They're hot from Janet Jackson and Human League and the other things they're working on at the time. And uh, I have always loved the song. And it, it's interesting, I realized recently, I don't think I ever saw the video to this on MTV, but I know I saw it a lot on Night Tracks. You remember Night Tracks, Sonny? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. TBS, the Superstation on Friday and Saturday nights would show blocks of videos as well. That's where I always saw this video. And um, I just, I love this song. It's got kind of a dark, darkness to it, but it's also very beautiful, very peppy. I love the percussion. Uh, I love this song a lot. So that's my number two. Yeah, it got stuck at seven. So uh, I went and looked at the chart. September 17th, 88. Uh, One through six was Sweet Child of Mine, Simply Irresistible, Mm. Perfect World from Huey, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> I'll always love you by Taylor Dane and When It's Love by Van Halen. So it might have had a shot. I mean, it these aren't, these six aren't exactly, they're good songs, yeah. but they're not a beat it. Right. Yeah, good right? point. Yeah, I just, uh, that was when these guys kind of became a man, became men. And the album that came out at that time, it's on an album called Heartbreak. There's other good tracks on that CD as well, like Can You Stand the Rain? And um, anyway, it's all Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Those guys were on fire at that time. So anyway, okay, what's your number two, Sonny? Well, let me ask Yan real quick. Yeah. Did the do the boy bands 
hit home overseas or like the NSYNCs, the Backstreet Boys, New Kids on the Block? Like, does anybody care about those people? I think there's quite a big following. I- I'm not it, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have to say, it's probably more likely to be women slightly younger than my age. Yeah. I think Backstreet Boys happened first in Germany. They were not going anywhere in the States and they started to get big in Germany and that kind of bled throughout Europe and then came back over here. So it was, they were one of those situations where Europe sort of led the charge for Backstreet Boys. I can't speak to the others, but I think that's what happened with them at least. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. All um, right. So my number two is, uh, we talked about him a little bit uh, earlier is from Rod Stewart and I am a sucker for ballads. So my top two picks are both ballads. Um, and it's the song My Heart Can't Tell You No man one of the most beautiful songs I just got a chill saying the title out loud that was kind of a little weird Um, (laughs) but beautiful melody I love the lyrics like there's this whole thing about like I can't quit you so you could really do me a favor and like not come around maybe Yeah. right because it's making it worse kind of thing I cannot believe that it was not number one It was off Rod's 15th album, Out of Order, in May of 88. It hit number four on April 1st, 89. And check out the three that beat it, and I think it had a solid shot to be number one. The Look by Roxette, which spent a week at number one. Girl, You Know It's True by stupid, (laughs) dumbasses Millie Vanilli. And then uh, number one song was Eternal Flame by the Bengals, and it spent one week at number one. That's one of my all-time favorite songs. Yeah. So two songs in front of it both went number one, but only lasted a week. And then I found out that this song was originally intended for Barbara Mandrell, but she didn't want it. Really? Yeah. No way. Wow. So, yeah, because two guys, uh, Simon Climey and Dennis Uh Morgan wrote the song. Oh, Climey was from a band called Climey Fisher that had um, one one big hit in the 80s. uh, Love Changes Everything? Is that what the... I think that might be the name of that hit. Anyway, so that's yeah, Climbing. It is. Okay. I don't, I don't recognize the other name. I didn't realize that they wrote that song. I have Out of Order still to this day. That is one of my very favorite Rod albums. I love it. It's produced by Bernard Edwards from Chic, and it's got Tony Thompson from Chic on drums, and we just talked to Tony Brock. Tony Brock plays drums on there. Um, I think that track is... Well, first of all, you can't beat when the one you love is in love with someone else. It's yeah. a it, don't you know it's torture? It's a living hell. Yeah. What that that narrows that cuts it down to its essence better than you anything. You know that is the essence of love right there. Says it so perfectly, but I feel like in that particular song um, gets lost in the shuffle of like "Forever Young" and "Lost in You," which were both on that album as well. And yeah. I don't know if they were higher on the charts or not, but I think those two had longer, like shelf lives maybe than, than um, this one does. But that's such a good song. Yeah, but the world would you know made yeah. Vill- Millie Vanilli number two. So what's the world know? <laughs> the world doesn't know anything. That's why yeah. we're here. Yes, <laughs> to redeem these people. Yes, I'm with you. Very good pick. Okay, fun. Um, you know what I just realized? I think. I wonder if Bernard Edwards produced, you mentioned um, Robert Palmer. Was it Simply Irresistible? Yeah. 
because I think Bernard Edwards produced Riptide, that was the album that had um, Addicted to Love on it. I wonder if he produced the follow-up, Heavy Nova, which had that song on it. I think he might have. So that's interesting. Bernard Edwards has two songs, produced two songs in the top four at that time. Maybe. Wow. Yeah. All right, Gan, what's your number one pick? So my number one pick is Laura Branigan, Gloria. Ah, why? I mean, who who doesn't love Laura Branigan? (laughs) And I've... I think I first heard her back when the Ghostbusters movie came out and the set that she was on that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she's good. I like her. Yeah. Just, I don't understand how that talent never got that song to number one. Yeah. You know, she, I wonder, I think about her a lot. I wonder if she were still alive, what her career would be like, you know? Because she had a bunch of hits. They weren't like number one hits, but they were big like Gloria and um, No Self-Control or whatever those these kinds of songs that people know but um, I wonder where she would be today if she were still around were you a Laura Branigan fan back in the day Sonny? Oh yeah love that song and uh, when I looked it up because I was surprised it had not been number one so when it capped out at number two it stayed there for two weeks truly was number one by Lionel Richie so that's a tough one to beat oh but then the next week, Truly dropped out of the top two. Gloria stayed there. And Mickey was number one by Tony Basil. <laughs> really? That, that had a shot, yeah. And then the following week, Basil drops to two, Gloria drops to three, and Maneater was number one. No so way. Truly and Maneater, she probably didn't have a chance to beat. But Mickey, she probably should have beat. Yeah, that's true. Wow, fascinating. I love what you're bringing to this conversation, Sonny. I love all that information. Well done. Well, good. Yeah, Laura, she was, um, you know, uh, we had her drummer there for a while, Richie Fontana on the show, and he said nothing but nice things. And she was pretty hot back in the day. And but she died, I think, of a brain aneurysm or something like that, kind of out of the blue. I wonder what she'd be like today. What kind of career she would have. Yeah. Okay. So number one for me, I'm going to go with Your Wildest Dreams by the Moody Blues. And the reason I'm picking this song is because I have believed for many years that this is the most likable song maybe in history. That it is probably physically impossible to dislike this song. I can't think of a song that is more lovable, you know? There's nothing not to like. It's not annoying. Yes, it has, you know, some 80s production, but so what? It doesn't sound, it sounds still kind of timeless. The singing, the the harmonies all of it is represents to me just the best of what like a likable pop song should be and um, it sort of redefined their career it definitely brought the moody blues into the 80s and they desperately needed it but um i believe this is the most likable song maybe in history so that's my number one pick what do you think sonny (laughs) so I wouldn't even ever heard of the Moody Blues if it wasn't for this song in Probably. the 80s. Yeah. So I would have had. But it got stuck at nine. Dude, wait till you hear these eight songs. It, it would have never made number okay. one. So Invisible Touch. Oh. Sledgehammer. Oh. This is going eight to one. Nasty. Danger Zone. Holding Back the Years. Oh. Who's Johnny? That's stupid. Um, <laughs> Glory of Love. 
Glory of Love was huge. Oh. And the number one song was There'll Be Sad Songs by Billy Ocean. Oh, Dude, this man. would have had a hard time. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. Boy, the timing was really bad. It sure was. You're right. Yeah, there was no way it was going to topple over any of those. And I think it was the number 91 song from 1986. I wrote that down. Um, but yeah, I, you're right. It uh, it wasn't going to hit number one. But do you are you with me a little bit that it's a hard song? There's nothing really to criticize about this song, or do you have an oh, issue no. with it? Oh, no. Very, very listenable. Yeah. Very listenable. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. What about you, Yan? Do you remember this track? I don't specifically remember this track, but I do like the Moody Blues, and okay. they're ultimately listenable. Yeah. I think if you, as soon as you hear it, I think you'll recognize this song. But yeah, most likable song of all time. I'm. That's my hot take on this. All right, Sonny, what's number one? All right, so number one to me, um, again, love ballads, and uh, there was a connection here uh, different than just the song. So I was, when I met my current wife, um, I transferred to a store. I was already in a relationship about to get married uh, to my first wife, and I remember when I first met Nicole, who's my current wife, we've been together for half our lives now, 24 years. When I first met her, she didn't like me very much because, as I told you, I am a, uh, I'm an interesting personality when you first meet me at times. So <laughs> there, was, there was a spark, but I couldn't quite tell what it was. And we actually became really, really good friends for a year and a half, a uh, year and about eight months. We would, t- you know, we would spend a lot of time together. We didn't have really a lot of – we don't have anything in common except for the job. Um, and what we drank at the time, that was, our drink was the same, but, uh, that was about it, but there was something there and I couldn't tell what it was, but then hearing songs like the search is over by survivor, which is my number one pick Mm -hmm. and you hear the lyrics and you hear the melody and it's like, okay, this person's like right next to you, but you don't realize that you probably need to switch what you're in right now. And this will be the person you're with forever. And it's, uh, scary right? When you think about stuff like that, because you don't know when it's going to happen and you can't predict it or force it. So it's so weird, but the ballad and the song and the melody is unbelievable. It's catchy as hell. Uh, it was on Vital Signs. It's August 84, their fifth album, the first one with Jimmy Jameson. Um, but it topped out at four. It might've had a shot but two of the songs went number one, and one of those songs should have went number one that was above it. Raspberry Beret by Prince oh, wow. was three. Susudio was mm. two, and it had been number one already for a week. And A View to a Kill by Duran Duran, which was on the on the charts forever, yeah. but was number one two weeks. That was Those were the songs that would have had mm. to beat out, but I think it's one of Survivor's best songs. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, one of... A very satisfying listen is to pull out Survivor's Greatest Hits, which I have, or I think it's called Ultimate Survivor. And listening back to those hits they had in the 80s, um, you know, it's Jimmy, it's not Dave Bickler anymore, but the sound is still there. It's the best of what, like, AOR rock had to offer at the time with um, Is It Love That I'm Feeling and uh, all the other, The Burning Heart, and all these great songs that these guys put out at that time. Uh, Just that takes me back more than a lot of other probably more than even than the songs I've mentioned on here I mean I remember being a kid and growing up with Survivor and listening in the car and they were songs my mom was okay with so she didn't mind she'd turn it up to they were magical back then yeah agreed yeah 
Well, good. Yeah, and what uh, what almost made your list? Give us a couple of either honorable mentions or you know last minute cuts. So honorable mentions, uh, Cindy Lauper. Girls just want to have mm. fun. Brian Adams, straight from the heart. Mm. That's one of my favorites of his. Yeah. And then the one that cut, uh, the one that I did the switch for Glenn Medeiros was actually Brian Adams as well. It was summer '69. All classics. The, there's two Don Don Henley ones on the list. I think are definite definite honorable mentions. I love those those songs, "The Boys of Summer" mm-hmm. and "End of the Innocence." Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Boys of Summer is one of those songs that when it was came out and it was popular, I absolutely detested that song. I hated it. And now it's one of my all-time favorites. And I hate Don Henley. I don't want to love Don Henley at all, but I love that song. It's just that sort of moody darkness behind it all, that sound bed. I love it. So good one. Good pick. Uh, a couple of uh, almost made it for me, one of which is... I was actually shocked to hear this song or see this song on the list, Sonny, because I don't remember ever hearing this song on the radio, but it's No Stopping Us by Ollie and Jerry from the movie uh, Breakin'. I uh, I don't know if anyone even remembers that song. I, it's one of my favorite songs ever, and uh, it's from that movie, but I don't remember ever hearing it on the radio, but apparently it was enough to make it on your spreadsheet. So... Uh, I have been trying for years to get Ollie from Ollie and Jerry on the show. His name is Ollie E. Brown, I believe. And he's friends with former guests uh, Ray Parker Jr. and Randy Hall. And uh, the email address I've been given for him does not work. I think he's a real estate agent somewhere. And um, he also, I believe, played drums with Stevie, Stevie Wonder for a little while. So there's a lot I want to talk about with this guy, Ollie Brown, but I cannot find him or get a hold of him anywhere. And then the other one I wanted to mention is uh, C'est La Vie by Robbie Neville. I loved those songs and I get a lot of requests for Robbie Neville and I have tried so hard to get him to come on the show. And I think he's one of these people that just does not want to be found. He is still, as far as I know in music, he was did a lot of the work on those high school musical movies that came out. He was... He either produced them or wrote them or engineered them or whatever. He was part of the team that made those the songs in those movies happen. I've never seen any of those movies, but I know they were a big deal. So I know he's still out there somewhere. And his website has a contact button on it, but it's, I think, strictly to contact him with, to send him demos. Like, I'm a band, and I, this is the name of my band, and this is a song, and you can submit the song to him, and he'll tell you about it, I guess because I've emailed it several times and never heard back. So I don't know if he actually corresponds with anybody. I would love to talk to Robbie Neville. He came and went in a flash. And C'est La Vie is such a great, soulful song. So that's my pick. Uh, For me, just a few that missed. uh, I guess that's why they call it the blues Mm -hmm. by Elton John. Yeah, uh, it it stalled at four. Uh, It had to beat out Talking to My Sleep, Karma Chameleon, Owner of a Lonely Heart. So he probably Mm -hmm. had no chance. Uh, Endless Summer Nights in 88 by Richard Marks. But number one was Man in the Mirror, so it had absolutely no shot. No, not going to happen. The one that I, well, I'll, I'll, a favorite that probably had no shot, but I just love the song Rock Steady by The oh, Whispers from 87. Great And the one. one that is unbelievable to me that it was not number one 
was faithfully um, by Journey in 83. Yeah. But the problem was, here's the songs that were above it when it stalled. It stalled at 13. Always There to Remind Me, Affair of the oh. Heart, Straight from the Heart, Solitaire, Little Red Corvette, My Love by Lionel Richie, Beat It, She Blinded Me with Science, Time, Overkill by Men at Work, Let's Dance, and Flash Dancing. Oh my gosh. I mean, the, the, just the, the competition, unbelievable yeah. in the 80s on some of these charts. Totally. Totally true. It's so fun, man. I love this topic because just looking, it gives me a rush just seeing these names, you know, just thinking about where I was when she blinded me with science or Holland Oates or any of these journey, any of these bands when they were at their peak. I just remember being so young and impressionable. And it's, I don't know if you feel this way too, guys, but like I didn't love my childhood or anything. I mean, I'm not saying I had a bad childhood, but it's not like I look back fondly at being that age, but Something about just the nostalgia of hearing those songs and being a formative, young formative mind that was still uh, realizing how much I loved music at that time and having these songs be the building block to that. Uh, just, it's so powerful, you know? Yeah, I'm in the same boat with you. My, my childhood wasn't great. I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, we weren't poor, super poor, you know, eating you know, leaves or anything like that, but it wasn't great. But the music really got me through yeah. some of it, yeah. right? And uh, I was always kind of the younger one or amongst the older crowd, so I never really felt like I fit in, but the music kind of seemed like it helped a little bit. But yeah, I I love that period of my life music-wise. I, this stuff is constantly on my iPod. I listen to it all the time. Yeah, yeah. It all just seemed to matter more than, you know, than it does now or even in the 90s. Like I said, 90s killed fun. They sort of are like, that stuff's all superfluous. It's fluffy. It's got no calories. We've got guitar licks. We've got long hair. We've, we're wearing flannel. We really are angsty and on heroin and we mean this. And it just, uh, that's all fine and good too, but it just put an end to, you know, obsession by animation and we built this city and all these songs. I mean, yeah, those songs are punching bags, but they mattered at the time and it, pop charts just don't matter anymore. So, yeah. And we went from Yan's girls want to have fun to Jeremy spoken in class today and killed everybody. <laughs> right. Like somehow that was only 10 or 12 years apart. That's so true. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Well, good. Well, this was fun. Are you, uh, you feel satisfied, Sonny? Was this experience okay for you? Oh, absolutely. Dude, yeah. I, I love you guys. I, I uh, appreciate the chance to come on and, uh, you know, share my stupidity with others. Not at all. I and Go ahead. Before you, before you finish up, I just want to point out a really cool tie-in to, oh. all, to all three of us for, for this. So you mentioned Great White, Sonny, and then uh, on this list, Great White's cover... Have once bitten twice shy is on there and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And John, where after when he was uh, was it on the way back or on the way here, John, that you got to stop and see the the place where they had the where the fire oh, was. Oh yeah, 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 yeah! I forgot all about that. You're right. It was on the way back. Oh, so sunny a year ago, and I was going to post this a year ago, almost right, almost to this very day. I spontaneously went out to Scotland so that Yan and I could go see The Tubes, The Mission UK, and Alice Cooper in concert there one night. And um, I was only in town for like 
I don't think it was even quite 48 hours. And we, um, we met up in a pub with one of our listeners, Andy Summers, and one of our formal get, former guests, Graham Skinner of Hipsway. It was just a magical time. And on the way flying back, I had an overnight layover in Rhode Island. And um, I, was, I, I went out to dinner and I asked the, the waiter, Are, am I anywhere near where that tragedy happened? I don't remember the name of the venue, but um, the Great White Tragedy. And oh, it, yeah. It was, but I, I was near it. But it was too far to walk, and I didn't know how to use Uber at the time, or else I would have, I would have had someone Uber me over there to see it. But yeah, you're right. I forgot all about that. That was a year ago, almost right about now. Wow. Yeah. Well, good. I'm uh, so Sunny. I just, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate so much you and your enthusiasm and the guy you are. I know we haven't spent oodles of time together, but people's personalities for better or worse, seem to come out through social media. And I appreciate where your heart is and that you seem to me on there anyway to be a positive person and a positive force for good. And I want you to know that I appreciate that. And so I'm very grateful that you listened to us and that it mattered at all that you would want to come on and chat with us. Thank you for doing that with us. Oh, yeah, no problem. And, you know, I I mess around saying I am sarcastic. There's absolutely no problem with that. Um, but, you know, I, I've led elders almost my whole life, so you can't be, a, you know, a raging a-hole, that's for sure. Good point. Um, and, I, you know, I just rather keep it on the positive side. You know, yeah. I, I've dwelled in the negative before. It's not fun, that's no. for sure. But, um, but I love the way when you guys are doing the podcast and when you're interviewing people, the, the way you get answers out of these folks, like, it's smooth. Like, mm. I wouldn't know what exactly to say, but I'm learning – ways to say it because I'm listening to you. Mm. Thank you for saying that. I, I, um, I can only say that I do that same thing. I listen to other podcasts, whether it's Chris and Aaron on Decibel Geek or Rockonomics or the Songcraft podcast or BJ or whatever. I hear people out there that I think do a really good job and I try. I just aspire to be like that. And I, I've said this before, I never want anyone to think that they're dealing with some Bush League nobody. I've got to, even if our we even if we aren't the most popular podcast in the world, I want them to feel like they're at least dealing with a professional, and so I've got to sort of fake it or fake it till I make it or whatever. And so that's uh, for whatever reason I'm I'm able to do this and do it pretty well, I guess. Hopefully, hopefully I continue to. Do it. It's cool. Yeah, uh, tell us once more. Pimp your podcast for us. Yeah, so there's really three places you can find me almost every week. Uh, one is Growing Up Rock Podcast. It's a podcast about rock and roll. We do interviews, themes, episodes, uh, et cetera. And uh, we're out uh, every week on all the places you can find podcasts, iTunes, Podchaser, all those places. Um, I do a KISS podcast, weekly KISS podcast called Podcast Rock City. Joe and Jody have been awesome to me. I uh, joined them about a year ago. And I love Kiss, so it's easy talking Kiss once a week. Mm-hmm. And then every Wednesday night on KGFRocks.com, Podcast Rock City has a radio show. So uh, Brent, D-Rock, and I do a radio show and just talk Kiss and play some Kiss tunes for about an hour and a half, uh, 8.30 Eastern on Wednesdays. So uh, it's fun, and it keeps me busy when I'm on the road. I travel with all this stuff, so a lot of times I'm, you know, in Arizona or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in California or I'm in New York, and I just hook up in the hotel room and go for it. So it's fun. That's great. Good for you, man. I really appreciate it. Um, But we close it out typically with a song by one of our listeners 
that's not that's more independent that is available for purchase but they're not on a major label so i want to close it out with a song called all the right statements by a group called sloan sauna and that's sloan s-l-o-a-n colon sauna and um I happen to know these guys. They're very good friends of mine. They are working on their first album of original material. Um, but there is a single available on iTunes called All the Right Statements. It's very sort of quiet and folky. It probably doesn't match the vibe of the conversation we just had. But it's lovely nonetheless. And uh, I may bring these guys on the show one time. They were they have an interesting story. They, they're not from Australia, but they were living in Australia got signed to a major major record deal, major label record deal, put out a single, uh, things were looking good, and then it got dropped. And uh, they went on and became regular people, have four kids, he's a dentist, and now he's kind of caught the bug again and they're writing music and they're working on their debut album. And uh, I think there might be an interesting story there. So I might bring these guys on the show. But anyway, All the Right Statements by Sloan Sauna. And uh, thanks guys, thanks for doing this. 